Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the Box Hard Podcast. This is also the Christmas special show, and boy, oh boy, do we have a lineup for you. But firstly, I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by the infamous, the elusive, the Southampton Santa. It is, of course, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Do you like that new that new name for you there? <laughs> oh, yes, for the Christmas special. <laughs> So this week will be slightly different to the other shows, of course. We will have three guests coming on the show instead of the usual two. Part one will consist of the pretty detailed review part of the show, along with one interview. And then in part two, we'll discuss the latest news, if there is any. And we'll briefly mention the preview part, one or two shows to go over. Um, We'll also discuss yours and our uh, 2018 fighter, fight, upset, knockout and prospect of the year. And then we'll welcome the final two guests. So uh, first and foremost, this is being recorded on Christmas Eve, but it will go out on the 27th. So Christmas hasn't yet happened for us, but there's no point wishing you a happy Christmas because it's already happened for you guys. So all I can say is I hope that you all had a fantastic day on the 25th. But let's get into the review part of the show. We're going to start... Um, we're going to start actually in Australia at the Emporium Function Centre in Bankstown, New South Wales. One fight or two fights to mention over here. Um, relation of Billy Dib, I think it's his younger brother, Yusuf Dib. Anyway, he moved to 11-0. and His opponent, Ty Gilchrist, actually retired on his stall at the end of round two. He didn't come out for round three, so 11-0 and now. Dib, um, Gilchrist, I mean, he, he had a losing record, really, but we've got to mention it. Luke Jackson, former opponent of Carl Frampton, he moved to 17 wins. He's got that one sole loss to Frampton. It was a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Rivo Ren Kung, who's now 37 and 29 with six draws. Moving out now to Poland. Um, this one was at the Mosier Hall in Radom. We were supposed to see a fight that was supposed to happen before, then it got rescheduled to this date here, and it fell through at the last stages. So it looks like we're never going to get to see the fight, but it was supposed to be Andrew Robinson, a battle-tested, battle-hardened, you know, He's, he's domestic level kind of fighter, but he's a you know he's a good fighter. He likes to have a war. He was supposed to take on a guy called Damian Jonak, who's like forty five and oh something like that with one draw, such a padded record. Um, I was intrigued to see if he'd get exposed, but it, you know it didn't end up happening. So that fight fell through. But also, what happened over here? Adam Bowski, the undefeated um, heavyweight prospect, he just came in over the limit, just two hundred pounds and a half. That half pound, just over the limit. So p- perhaps maybe a cruiserweight. I could be mistaken. I think he's coming at heavy once or twice. But anyway, Adam Bowski now thirteen and oh, a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Sergey Radchenko, who's now seven and. Four. Um, 
And also to mention on this bill, Robert Parzukzuski, um, he moved to 22-1. and one. He successfully defended his Republic of Poland light heavyweight title against Southpaw Darius Sek, former opponent of Anthony Yard. Um, this guy here, Parzukzuski, did it quicker than Yard, though. It was a second-round TKO. Darius Sek now 28-5 and five with three draws. And now moving out to the Manchester Arena... Um, I've got to be honest, I mean, I didn't really watch much of this card. I've watched the main event back, but I was at the Chisora and White card, so I've only seen limited bits of it. Um, what I will say, Tommy Fury, he made his debut here against this guy, Jevgenis Andrajevs, who had a record of 10 wins, 102 losses and 3 draws. I think he'd only been stopped 13 times in 102 outings, or 102 losses. So he'd been the distance 89 times and lost. And, you know, we didn't really know too much about Tommy Fury. He looks in fantastic shape. He's the brother of, you know, the great Tyson Fury, but he could be great or he could be absolutely awful. We don't know. It's his debut. So I thought, you know what? They are quite... Um, you know, quite decent odds when I checked it out. Uh, this guy here, I said it, I tweeted it out the other the other week, like, you know, a few days before the fight. I said, listen, Tommy Fury, I think he was at 9-2. to two. So, you know, if you put £10 on that, you win £45 plus your tenner back. Um, basically, for him to win on points, he was always going to win the fight. But was he going to knock this guy out? Because not many could. And um, a few people took my advice. Uh, one one of our most loyal listeners, I think, put about £20 on it. One, just over 100 So, uh, all the very best to you. And, um, yeah, you owe me a pint when I see you. <laughs> uh, also on the bill, we saw Harvey Horn move to 4-0. and A points win over six rounds against Adam Hutchinson. Uh, we also saw Lyndon Arthur move to 13-0. and A TKO in the fourth round against Emmanuel Fazou, former opponent of Buglioni. His record now 10-10 and with two draws. We saw Billy Joe Saunders move to 27-0. and Unbelievably, he came in at 178 and a quarter pounds. So he's weighed in as a cruiserweight. Unbelievable. Um, he fought Charles Adamu, who's been in there with many, many, many fighters over the years, including the likes of Carl Froch. Um, yeah, Adamu decided to retire on his store after four rounds. He didn't come out for round five, 32 and 14. His record now, um, that was untelevised, that fight there. So I've got no idea how Billy Joe Saunders looked. Michael Conlon, he moved to 10 and 0. This is a fight I haven't seen. It was for the vacant WBO intercontinental featherweight strap against Jason Cunningham obviously Cunningham um, lately he's really been mixing it with some decent level of fighters I think that's Conlon um, that is Reese Bellotti and didn't he fight Jordan Gill as well could be could be wrong um i think he yeah i think he lost to jordan gill so he's had a tough 2018 um but yeah anyway it was a unanimous decision for conlon over 10 rounds he's now 10 and oh he did have a point deducted in the sixth round for repeated low blows nathan gorman took on razvan kajanu a little bit of a late replacement he was supposed to take on um alex leopai um, but yeah it was what it was obviously kajanu went the distance with joseph parker but he got knocked out in two rounds against lewis Ortiz. we all expected gorman to to get the knockout and if he did then it would have looked better than Joseph Parker's win but no he went the distance so um, you know nothing too exciting there but he does bank the rounds that's a 12 round contest and he's banked those rounds there um, that's the first time he's done 12 rounds that one was for the WBC international silver heavyweight title by the way so that's quite a good belt there actually um, 
Sorry, I thought it was the WBC Silver. Of course, it's the WBC International Silver. Not such a great belt. Um, we saw Martin Murray, 37-4 and four with one draw, take on Hassan and Dam. Friend of the show, he was on last week. It was for the WBC Silver middleweight title. That's the proper WBC Silver title. Uh, Martin Murray, obviously, um, you picked him to win on points. I, as I went with Hassan and Dam on points, and so did the listeners. So we both gain a point um, at your misfortune there. Um I mean, again, I haven't seen this fight. It ended up being a majority decision over 12 rounds in favor of Hassan and Dam. I think he got off to a little bit of a rocky start, but he came into it as the fight went on. Pretty typical, really. Um, did you see any of this card at all, Az? I know that you were watching the White Chisora as well. Unfortunately, I didn't see this card at all. Never mind. Um, but yeah, you know, we we we... We've, we're letting listeners down a little bit there. We should have probably split our attention. But, um, yeah, moving up once again, Liam Williams took on Mark Heffron. Now, Liam Williams, again, a friend of the show. He was on a couple of weeks ago. Um, he moves to 19-2 and two with one draw. He now becomes a two-weight British champion. He's won it at light middle, and now he's won it at middle against Mark Heffron here, 21-0. He was a big favourite going in. I couldn't believe he was a favourite. I mean, he hadn't really fought anyone on Williams' level. And, obviously, Williams has fought pretty much at world level. He took on Liam Smith, had a very good fight the first time round, very controversial. And the second time round, I mean, he lost fair and square. But, um, you know, he's a good fighter, Liam Williams. I've expressed that many, many times. I think he's got a real bright future. And I couldn't believe he was the underdog, but he went on to win. He pretty much won every round and then ended up stopping Mark Heffron in the 10th round. Heffron looked absolutely exhausted. Um, and yeah, you know, that was that was exactly what Liam Williams said he'd do. He said it on the show, if you were listening. And he actually said he believes he's going to probably get a late stoppage. And it came in the 10th round. So over the moon for him. Um, back to the drawing board for Mark Heffron. And the main event here, Josh Warrington took on Carl Frampton. Warrington 27-0. and Carl Frampton 26-1 and for the IBF World Featherweight title. Warrington's belt. Um, you know, first things first. I'm not quite sure the event was a sellout. And I think the problem behind that is because it was held in Manchester. I understand some fighters, you know, they, they don't want to give in. It's all about egos and advantages and stuff like that. And obviously, Carl wouldn't have wanted to go to Leeds. And Josh wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere in Ireland or Northern Ireland for Carl Frampton. Now, the thing with that is fans don't really like to travel too much either. So it wasn't a sellout, so I'm told. And obviously, with Dillian White and Derek Chisora, the rival show, they completely sold the place out. And that's because both men are from London, and the fight was in London. So they had a bit of an advantage there. But yeah, the fight itself, I mean, I watched it back. And from what I could see, I had it a lot wider than the judges had it. I was very, very surprised, first and foremost, with with Warrington. I mean, this is two fights on the spin now where I've not really gave him much chance in. Against Selby, I thought he would get schooled and probably lose every round. Um, here against Frampton, I thought that, you know, they're, they're kind of both the same sort of size. I know that Lee Selby's quite a tall guy, very rangy, great jab, very skillful. I thought it'd be a different, completely different fight to the Selby fight, and it was. But, um... You know, I still thought that Frampton would win and win well. Now, for me, I felt the first round, 
you know, it wasn't as one-sided as I'd heard. I heard that he really beat the crap out of Frampton in that first round. That wasn't the case for me. I still gave Warrington the round. The second round was a very big round for Warrington. You know, brutal, brutal body shots that he delivered to Carl's midsection, and Carl really didn't like it. In the third round, again, it was a fairly close round, but I gave it to Carl Frampton. And then in the fourth round, it was a clear Carl Frampton round. It was it was real class work from him. He seemed to even be frustrating Josh at parts of that. And that was really it. I had it 2-2 after four rounds. And here is where, for me, Warrington completely went on to dominate. The fifth round, I gave it to, to Warrington. You know, once again, I've got to say, such an improved, improved fighter. He really is. I think he's come on leaps and bounds, really. Um... You know, the sixth round, on the inside, I was shocked by this, but on the inside, Carl Frampton couldn't match Josh Warrington. Josh Warrington was too quick for him. He was completely out-punching him. He was out-landing him. He was out-thinking him. And he was actually roughing him up. Um, Again, another round there for Warrington in the sixth. In the seventh round, I felt it was a fairly close round. But I think the last half of that round, Josh Warrington seemed to steal it for me. Um, In the eighth round, it was a great, great, great round. It really, really was. It was argument for, you know, I'm not sure round of the year, but round of the month or whatever. Um, I still felt that Warrington nicked that round. In the ninth round, it was another brilliant, brilliant round. But I gave it to Josh Warrington again and then in the 10th round I mean aside from a good finish to the round by Carl Frampton some great elusive work some great counter punching I still felt that Josh Warrington did enough to win it uh, the 11th round again a Josh Warrington round um, quite amazing to still see the spring in his step as, as late on as the 11th round in a fight like that it was so action-packed you know the, the pace was really fast and he's got an engine which is going to be quite unmatchable even at the elite level and in the 12th round it was a great 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 final round to end what had been a fantastic fight but for me once again Josh Warrington did enough I had it 118-110 10 rounds to 2 in favor of Josh Warrington I could not believe my own eyes when I totaled up my score um, but yeah, the fight did not play out as I expected. I expected Carl to be the one on the back foot and Josh to be the one pushing him back and trying to force the fight. And, you know, Frampton was walking right into Warrington. Frampton in this fight, you know, when he was at distance, he had success. But as I said, on the inside, Warrington was just too good for him. He was quicker, you know, he was switching from head to body really, really well. And obviously, you know, he's a much bigger puncher than people give him credit for. You can just take one look at Carl's face to see that. But um, yeah, I mean, probably the best asset that Warrington's got. I mean, his work rate is unquestionably the best thing that he's got. His engine's quality. But he's very, very accurate. He's a real accurate puncher, um, which which is a very underrated asset to, to any boxer's game. Um, but yeah, leaving that card alone there, let's move now to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. Let's start here with... Um, let's start with David Price, 22 and six, taking on Tom Little, 10 and six. It ended up being a TKO in the fourth round for David Price. I mean, just when I thought that Little was starting to have success, I mean, he got caught with a shot that buckled his legs and Price went into kill mode and forced a very, very premature stoppage. Obviously, Tom Little went absolutely crazy. The crowd erupted into boos. And don't get me wrong, Price had won every round up until that point, but Little didn't even take much punishment up to the stoppage. So it was a terrible, terrible stoppage. And I think the next couple of rounds would have been really interesting. I thought that Little had a great chance if it went between rounds five and eight. It was only an eight-rounder. But um, unfortunately, he didn't really get a chance to you know to try and do anything 
Um, because, yeah, like I say, when he was having success in that fourth round, all of a sudden got caught with a shot and it was over. So, um, yeah, very bad loss there for Tom Little. Very unfortunate for him. David Price moves on. Um, and actually, David Price sat right in front of me. Like, you know, when he when he had his fight finished and he came out to watch the main event, he sat right in front of me. I think it was the chair. I think his girlfriend was sat right, or his wife was sat right in front of me and he was next to her. And, like, whenever the action was really picking up and everyone's standing up in their seats, he don't even stand up because he can see over everyone. <laughs> um... Also on the bill, we saw Carlos Takam, 35-5, and five, with one draw take on Senad Gashi, who was 17-1. and one. Um, Gashi was a German prospect, if I'm, if, if, unless I'm mistaken. It ended up being a TKO in the seventh round for Takam. Now, Gashi was actually down three times in that final seventh round. He certainly needed to be stopped. I think he was quite quite brave. He was a little bit too brave. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was 17-0 with 17 knockouts. And his one loss was a disqualification loss. So he could have been a real banana skin. But, you know, Carlos Takam, tough as they come. And he completely put it on him. And, you know, the end was, was inevitable, really. Um, at the start of the fight, you could see that, you know, the styles were not going to suit uh, Gashi too good, and you know Takam the way he likes to smother people and um, you know pile the pressure on them. But no, he, you know he had some decent rounds. I'm not going to lie, he had a good jab on him, Gashi, and um, you know he landed some interesting punches actually. But um, yeah, it wasn't to be for Gashi. Um, moving up the card once again, let's talk about Bellotti. Um, let's talk about Bellotti and Walsh. So let's let's announce the champion first. Ryan Walsh, 22 and two with two draws, put his British featherweight title on the line against Reese Bomber Bellotti 13 and 1. Um yeah, ended up being a split decision for Walsh. Um you know, once again a, a time where he's had to really show his class. He's he's a tough tough guy Ryan Walsh. He even got hurt once or twice in the fight, but he gritted it out and he won on points and I was talking to people there and I had to say, you know, he's the more rounded boxer. I think Bellotti if he doesn't hurt you early, then I don't know what it does to him, but if he doesn't land on you early and hurt you, then he seems to not really be at the races. I think he fades a little bit towards the end. Um, yeah, it was quite shocking at how you know how Ryan Walsh would just walk Bellotti down with his hands down. He was exposing the leaky defense of Bellotti, and he was really troubling Bellotti as well himself. And you know, Walsh didn't really seem to respect Bellotti's power, which was quite surprising because, like I say, I think it's Bellotti's strongest asset. But yeah, Ryan Walsh for me won that very clearly, and I couldn't believe it was a split decision. Moving up the card once again, let's talk about the Boatsy and Quinlan fight. Ayers, I know that you saw that one. What did you make of Boatsy's performance? Obviously. Quinlan, his only losses have came late on. I think he, I think he, I think one of his losses may have may have been on points over ten. I think he got knocked out in the tenth round again against someone, and I think he got stopped in nine against Eubank Junior. But um, it was a little bit weird the way he got stopped here. Tell us. Yeah, I mean Joshua Boatsy was going. We all knew that was going to be a favorite going into this fight. Obviously, we knew Randall Quinlan when we saw him get beaten by Chris Eubank Jr. But I mean, it was the first round knock. Obviously, Boatsy hit him. Boatsy hit him with a left hook, dropped him in the first fifty seconds, and then again, Boatsy put the pressure on him and knocked him out. So, but um, it was a typical Boatsy performance. I mean, I think we, I think we got a star in the future, and I think Boatsy's going to be a next big star. Yeah, we will be discussing the prospects of 2018 later on in the show in part two. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't really um, Buatzi's fault, but obviously the referee called break, but Buatzi had already let a shot go, and when he hit Quinlan with it, it completely, completely, you know, shook up his senses. He went down, he got back up. Terry O'Connor, <laughs> you know, on his, on his last refereeing performance, that's the last time he's going to referee a fight, and he went out with a bang, um... You know, he told Quinlan, you're not hurt, you're play-acting. And Quinlan was clearly hurt. He could barely walk, he could barely, you know, stand up. He was completely out on his feet. And then, obviously, Buatzi had to turn up the, you know, the pressure and he got the stoppage and it was it was, it was, was inevitable what was going to happen as soon as he got back up and the referee actually let him carry on. So I felt I felt that Quinlan had been hard done by, but you can't really blame Buatzi. It was a bit of a blunder there from Terry O'Connor, but that's nothing new. Um... Moving up the bill once again, let's now talk about the Christopher Rosales and Charlie Edwards fight. Rosales 28 and 3, defending his WBC World Flyweight title against Charlie Edwards 13 and 1. Um, let's start here with, 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 with the first round. I mean, firstly, what I will say, I will say this. Going into the fight, Edwards was really, really focused. You know, he was closing his eyes in the ring. He was in the ring, closing his eyes like he was talking to someone from the dead and he was taking deep breaths. You know, he was getting into the zone like I've never seen before. Um, The first round, Rosales was letting go of his backhand and he was catching Charlie to the body a couple of times. Charlie just, you know, he came out and had a look at him, really. He took a few good shots and it wasn't a good start for Charlie, I've got to be honest. The second round, I mean, the start of the round, Charlie was a bit too patient for me. He was trying to counter Rosales, but he was finding it difficult to time his shots. He again took some decent shots, but that round he did dish out some lovely ones too. He was using his feet better also, and I gave it to Charlie. So I had it 1-1 after two. Charlie looked very confident as he stared at Rosales walking back to his corner when the bell rang. He stood there and gave him a little bit of a stare, a little bit Chris Eubank (laughs) Jr.-esque. Going into the third round, it was a better round once again for Charlie. Sometimes I felt that he was trading when it was very unnecessary to do so, but he was coming off better when they were doing that, if I'm being honest. And he was much, much quicker to the punch than Rosales. Rosales still looked a lot bigger. He did look a lot bigger than Edwards when they were both in the ring. And Edwards scared me when he stood too close to Rosales, but he did win that round. Great jabs that he showed us as well. He demonstrated some fantastic jabs, Charlie Edwards. But one thing that Rosales said in the build-up which kind of made me scratch my head. He said that um, what he does know about Charlie Edwards is he's not as quick as Paddy Barnes. I thought he was trolling. I mean, what was that about? No disrespect to Barnes, but Charlie Edwards is a quick-handed fighter. I'm not saying Barnes isn't, but Charlie Edwards is a quick, quick-handed guy, and I think he found out the hard way on Saturday night. In the fourth round, it was a big, big round for Edwards. I mean, a beautiful left hook followed by a right uppercut, and it was unbelievable. It was absolutely It was a tremendous, tremendous combination. The way he landed the left hook and then he came back a split second later with the right uppercut. Um, He lifted Rosales' feet off the floor. Rosales' head snapped back like a ragdoll. And to be honest, it would have dropped most flyweights, that shot there, that little combination. That uppercut, absolutely 
sexy. I'm going to call it sexy. And um, it completely did not bother Rosales. He came back um, He came back well, actually. He decided to kind of up his pace and, and try and put the pressure on Charlie. And he actually landed a shot that seemed to stagger Charlie a tiny bit. But Charlie needed to not get overconfident. I was worried that that might happen. He still won that round. He was bossing the fight. 3-1 after four. In the fifth round, I mean, we saw sublime movement from Charlie Edwards. He was making Rosales miss by miles. It was unbelievable. Charlie was making him pay as well and what a performance it had been at that point by Charlie um, you know Rosales was trying to punch with Edwards but Edwards was smart enough to hit and move and not stay in the pocket for too long Edwards was fighting going backwards he really was fighting going backwards and that's such a difficult skill to possess um, you know we always worried that you know Rosales is a is a relentless fighter he's a guy that comes forward all night long and if you haven't got any pop in your shots he's not going to respect your power and he can walk through you and stop you and that's what we saw against Barnes so it had to be different from Charlie we needed to see punch power that we perhaps hadn't seen before in the sixth round I mean Rosales was getting a little bit closer to the target it was a fairly close round I think Edwards made him miss so many shots again and it just made him look more in control but he really had to work hard for each round Charlie where Rosales looked fairly comfortable despite being outclassed and at that point I had it 5-1 to Charlie after 6 rounds but there was a close round in that 6th round there which could have really gone either way. In the 7th round, Rosales actually cut Edwards, um, I think it was I think it was the top of the head. Um, it was a close round. I mean, it could have gone either way, but I actually gave that one to Rosales, and I was worrying that perhaps Charlie was starting to come undone as the fight wore on. In the eighth round, it was another round that I gave to Rosales, so I had it 5-3 after eight rounds. Rosales landed some hurtful-looking shots. The cut was on Charlie Edwards' forehead, and the blood was running into his eye, and it was bothering him. He kept wiping it away, and... You know, Edwards, like I said, had to work hard to win each round. Rosales wasn't overexerting himself. I did say last week that Charlie couldn't afford to tire late on, and I hope that that wouldn't be the case. But, you know, the way the fight was turning round now, you could have really gave Rosales three rounds in a row from round six to round eight. Um, so that was starting to become a little bit worrying for me in the ninth round I mean the early part of the round was worrying for Edwards he did get hit a lot he you know he looked in trouble but he did weather the storm and he finally started using his legs more he didn't need to stand and trade it was suicidal tactics but he did it for some reason and you know anyway the, the second half of the round he was excellent and I felt that he nicked it so 6-3 I had it going into the 10th uh, the, the the 10th round was a brilliant round for Charlie he was still holding his feet and he was trading more than he needed to but for the most part he did dominate and it was a Charlie from earlier on in the fight that we saw, I think, in that 10th round. It was a Charlie from earlier on in the fight. It was like he got a bit of a second wind. So I had it 7-3 going into the final two. And in the 11th, I mean, Charlie boxed safely in that 11th. He won the round with ease. He only threw shots when he needed to. It was the perfect way to fight Rosales. And finally, it was the first round that my heart wasn't absolutely racing. <laughs> in the 12th round, Rosales, I gave him that round. I mean, it was a close round. Edwards engaged only when it was clever to do so he was initiating a clinch at the right time it was very intelligent boxing and you know my scorecard read 
112, one of those rounds was quite close, but I gave you 8-4 to four at the end of the day, and the new Charlie Edwards wins the WBC flyweight world title, and he's now rated um, by most and by many as the number one flyweight in world boxing, which is absolutely unbelievable. I'm absolutely over the moon for him. I spoke to him the very, uh, the very day after the fight. I rang him up, and you know what? Charlie's known for not answering his phone, even to his brother, Sonny Edwards. He always says, my brother Charlie, you know, he thinks he's too big now. He doesn't answer his phone. Listen, Charlie Edwards picked up that phone at half a ring. <laughs> half a ring he answered that phone. And, you know, just hearing him speak. I mean, we spoke for about 10 minutes. He's absolutely over the moon. And... um he cannot wait to get his new WBC title sent to him in the post. Um, you know, what a win for him. He's gone through so much. You know, he's always got this unwarranted stick over the years. In my opinion, it's been so unwarranted. I've never understood what it was that people didn't like about him. You know, he went he went on the you know on the Golovkin Brook undercard to try and be great. He dared to be great. He came up short against Casemiro. He got stopped. But he was going to become the quickest Englishman to win a world title. I feel like I've said that so many times. And all he ever did was got in there, tried to win. It didn't go well for him. And he was a young kid. He was young. I think, what was he, about 22, maybe 23 when he had that fight. And, you know, he's come back. He's put together win after win after win. Okay, he talked a bit too much. Maybe he gave Cal Yafai, you know, a bit too much stick. But it doesn't matter. He's backed it up here and he's got the win. And, you know, he's the WBC champion. Not many people get to win that belt. And he has won it. And he's one of our five existing world champions right now. So I'm so pleased for him. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. I as um have have your say on that one. Give us give us a couple of sentences if you want to. And the new, first of all. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Charlie I mean, well done to Charlie Edwards. I mean, let me say something. I, I remember watching his fight against Casemiro and he got knocked out. And then he went. Um, he went to Adam Booth. Uh, joined Adam Booth's training. And obviously, as soon as he left Adam Booth, he, he went and uh, trained with his brother at the Steel City Jimmy Sheffield. A lot of people didn't know who his trainer was, and a lot of people when he went going into this fight, were going saying, "Yeah, he's going to get knocked out." But Charlie Edwards boxed very, very well. Uh, he was count. He was countering um, Rosales. He was boxing out. He was boxing and moving him. I have to say, I got to give big credit for Charlie. And I remember I saw his emotion in interview that. Uh, he said he did this for his mum. So let me say something. Charlie, this is your Christmas present and the new. And the new. And yeah, I do want to touch on what you just said there. Um, credit to his trainer, Grant Smith, from the Steel City Gym. All the credit to him. He put a fantastic game plan together and it really did work a treat. And of course, the main event here, the rematch, Dillian White, 24-1, and took on Derek Chisora, 29-8 and for the WBC Silver Heavyweight title and the WBO International Heavyweight title. Um, it ended up being an 11th round stoppage for Dillian White, a complete clean knockout, a left to the head. Um, obviously, Chisora, you know, he had a bit of a hard time from the referee, had a point took away in the 8th round and also in the 11th round. Um, it was a little bit dirty from both guys, um, but the, the, the real controversial thing is at the time of the knockout two judges had Chisora ahead 95-94 and the other had White winning the fight 95-94 I mean maybe I've scored it completely wrong but um, I had Dillian White winning quite clear just before I break it down Iaz what were your thoughts on it? To be fair Chisora this, this new improved Chisora looked very very good in the fight Chisora was boxing him Chisora was doing very good Obviously, Dillian White was countering with a uh, was countering, and obviously Dillian White with him. He starts um, he starts at a slow place, Dillian White, and obviously we can we saw that 
uh, Chizor, in my opinion, was running most uh, was running. I had Chizor winning the fight, but obviously when he came to eleven round with that left hook, bam, left hook flushed Chizor and knocked him out. But now, obviously, where does Chizor White go? So, I mean, I think personally he's going to go. For, I think that April thirteenth fight is going to be himself versus Anthony Joshua. In my opinion, two thousand eighteen has been a very good year for him. He's beaten the likes of Lucas Brown. He's beaten. Joseph Parker now he's beating Derek Chisora. So he for Dillian White, he's had a very good 2018 year. So I've got to give him credit for that. And I think he's going to, I think, from my opinion, I think he deserves a world title. Like I say, we'll talk about the fighter of the year. Dillian White certainly deserves a shout when you actually think about it. To knock Brown out, to drop Parker, which no one had ever done. And then to get the knockout against Chisora, which most people thought would go points again. And it nearly did. Um... Look, I mean, the fight the fight itself, the way I saw it, and I could have seen it completely wrong, I've got to be honest. A lot of people don't agree with the way I saw it. But, um, yeah, I was quite shocked, firstly, to see the amount of support for Chisora. I mean, it was mind-blowing. I mean, the venue absolutely roared for him, and it was as if a Brit was fighting a foreigner. They absolutely booed White. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, the first round, I felt that White won that round. I mean, both men got off with good shots. White probably outlanded Chisora. I recall White staggering Chisora momentarily, but it was a decent round, though. It was pretty close. The second round, for me, it was a nothing round, really. I think, uh, you know, nothing really landed clean. White was too sharp for Chisora. Chisora did get White in the ultimate headlock at the very end of the round, and he was told off for it, but it was so bad, actually, like, he, he got him in a headlock, he didn't want to let go, he fell onto the ropes with him, and I saw veins in White's hairless head, it was such a bad thing, I mean, I couldn't believe it, it was, if that happened later on in the fight, he'd have got disqualified for it, the third round, um, you know, the the better movement was with White. White was quicker, but I felt Chisora probably won that round. He ripped to the body of White frequently. It was a grueling round. And in the first fight, both men were extremely fatigued late on. So perhaps going to the body was a very clever tactic in an attempt to get White to tire even earlier uh, than the previous fight. So I had it 2-1 to White going into the fourth. White won that round for me, but again, it was a very, very close round. I think Dillian hit Chisora on the break and he was told off for it, but I had it 3-1 um all four rounds weren't easy to score though i've got to say so in the fifth round again i gave it to white it was such a high intensity fight and i already felt like my scorecard was going to get criticized because the rounds were so close but for me the cleaner work from where i was sitting was from dillian white in the sixth round it was another close round i probably edged it to chisora so i had it 4-2 i mean the round really for me could have gone either way both men looked really tired as well in that sixth round but it was nothing uh you know, nothing real big landed. There was no real huge events in that round. And the pace really slowed in that sixth round. In the seventh round, I gave it to Chisora. But again, um, you know, he looked to be in trouble himself in that round. It was a close round, though. I had it 4-3 to White. In the eighth round, obviously, a point came off for Chisora. But I felt he was losing the round anyway. So a 10-8 in favor of White. Um, in the ninth round, again, I gave it to White. Both men were tiring. Um... It was a slow pace round. I didn't, you know, already at that point, I didn't fancy seeing a third fight between the pair. Um, White was not winning convincingly in the way that everyone would want to see that Joshua fight. I don't think that no one's mouth is watering for the, you know, for the prospect of that rematch to happen. Uh, in the tenth round, Chisora gave him that round. It was very sloppy work from him, though. Again, nothing landing clean. It was quite a boring fight. I think that might have been the round where he had the point took off actually in that tenth round. Am I right in saying that? Um, hmm, maybe it was the 11th. 
but yeah, he, he he had a point took off. I think if it was the eleventh, then uh, yeah, I think it was for use of the elbow. But yeah, no no chance at that point did did I think that Chisora would be able to win a decision. I mean, I had White winning the majority of the rounds. Forget about the points off with those, then it was even worse. Um, but yeah, you know, I didn't really see War Chisora turn up. I didn't think there was much of a new version of him. He just turned up for me and did his usual stuff, and he was tough as nails, as both men are. Um, and then obviously, you know, down went Chisora. Both men exchanged left hooks, but White got there first, and it's that left hook again, which we've seen time and time again, work for Dillian White. And Chisora was out cold. I mean, you know, it, it was a complete straight wave off I think the referee gave him a count but it was pointless really he was completely gone his arm was stuck out you know stuck out straight and um, it was it was quite concerning for for the first few seconds really did White do enough for you I asked to to want to see that Joshua rematch because for me I am really not excited for that um obviously there's no Dillian White um so there's no Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury do we really want to see Jarrell Miller not really Dini White's the only other option, or Luis Ortiz or this Kubrat Pulev. So I, I mean, I'd rather see, I'd rather see Pulev or Big Baby Miller than Dillian White. I feel like we've already seen the fight. I'm just not hyped up to see it. If he would have knocked Chisora out in perhaps two rounds, then fair enough, I understand. But he didn't, and it went, you know, it went to the eleventh round, and. Um, it just wasn't impressive from me. I mean, even though he won, I didn't think it was a great fight. I don't know. Maybe I've missed a, a fantastic fight because some people are saying it was really good. I don't know what it looked like on TV, but in the place, I mean, it was even quiet for for, for like the second half of the fight. Honestly, I thought people were going to start booing. I really wasn't impressed with what I was seeing from either guy. It was sloppy. They ran out of, you know, out of energy. And, you know, the finish did come. And it's a statement because not many people would knock out Chisora clean. It's only ever happened once before. That was David Hay. Funny enough, the guy that was picking Chisora up off the floor. And, um, yeah, it just didn't do it for me. It really didn't. You know, and maybe I saw it quite biasly. You know, I thought that White was really dominating the fight. Maybe I was wrong. And, to be honest, that proves my point even more. Because if Chisora was winning the fight, then who the hell wants to see Dillian White fight Joshua again if he only got through by the skin of his teeth because he needed a knockout you know I mean I still want to see the Joshua I still want to see Joshua versus uh, Danny White because I still think I still think it's a good fight I mean that's the only fight left if, if Joshua does not fight Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury so Danny White for me would be a good fight still I think there's right. a, still, still a bit of grudge left in that fight oh yeah there certainly is grudge um, but yeah, that, that, that's about it for that one. Let's now move out to the States at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. Let's start here with Effia Jagba, um, a man that has gone through the whole of 2018 with first round stoppages. He's now 8-0. He knocked out in the very first round Santino Turnbo, who's now 4-4. Four and four. Um, we saw Terrell Goulchet, former Olympian. His one loss came to Eris Landy Lara. He hasn't fought since, but he got in the ring here and he got a first-round knockout against Joey Hernandez, who's now 27-5 and with one draw. That's a real good win there for Goulchet, a friend of the show, 21-1. and Rancis Barthelemy picked up win number 27. He's got that one loss. It was a third-round TKO against Robert Frankel, who's now 36-20 and with one draw. Um, and Dominic Brazil, 19-1. and 
he was on the show last week. Very nice guy, Brazil. Um, he got the knockout in the ninth round of a scheduled 10 against Carlos Negron, who's now 20-2 and two with 16 knockouts. Both men could really bang. I mean, the fight itself here, I think Negron gave Brazil some problems, and... I was quite surprised. I think both men hit each other after the bell a few times. Uh, It was getting a little bit out of hand at times. But Brazil did catch up with him in that ninth round. It was a beautiful shot, which kind of hit Negron in the neck. You know, he went through the ropes, and then the ropes hit him on the neck. Like, his neck was hanging over the bottom rope, I think it was. And he was completely gone. I mean, Brazil... After that, Lin out the ring and he exchanged words with Deontay Wilder. And the very, very funny and comical thing was in the post-fight, <laughs> in the post-fight interview in the ring, Dominic said to, you know, to the interviewer, he said, "I'm coming for that WBC title. Wilder knows I'm next. He better hold on to that baby because I'm coming." And then the camera panned over to Wilder, and it just so happened that he was holding like his 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 actual baby, like it's I don't know, the baby's probably like one or two year old, or maybe even younger. He's holding this little baby in his arms, and it was just so weird that Brazil said he better hold on to that baby tight because I'm coming. It sounded more like he wanted to kidnap his children instead of take his WBC title. That really made me crack up. Um, <laughs> Jamal Charlo, let's talk about him first. He moved to 28-0, and 0, a little bit controversial. It was for the interim WBC world middleweight title against Matty Korobov, former Andy Lee opponent, now 28-2. and 2. Um, You know, for me, it was obviously an opponent switch on Monday of fight week, so that was a little bit problematic for, for both men, really. Um, obviously, Korobov wouldn't have had the right preparation, and Charlo again, wouldn't have really had the right preparation because he's trained his whole training camp for one particular guy. And although Korobov is still a southpaw like Willie Monroe Jr., he's very much got a very different style. Um, But yeah, coupled with Korobov's inactivity over recent years and his lack of going the rounds, I had him as a massive underdog. Um, Matty Korobov, you know, he did start really well, though. He was clever. He threw the right shots at the right time. He was outclassing Charlo for most of the first six rounds, and Charlo struggled badly to figure him out. I felt like seeing his twin brother, Jamel, just lose his world title minutes before his ring walk, which we're going to talk about in a moment, could have perhaps messed him up a little bit mentally, and that was really the way the whole fight went. I mean, the second half is where I thought Korobov would tire, but he didn't. Um, You know, he'd only done six rounds in two years, I believe, and he had five days' notice for the fight, and it was crazy, because in the final round, um, you know, I had Korobov... I mean, it was it was very close. It was very close. I think Korobov, I probably had him up by a point or two. I wasn't strictly scoring it. But Charlo hurt Korobov badly twice in that round. And Korobov was starting to unravel. And I wasn't, like I say, strictly scoring it. But I felt like he was winning comfortably. And I thought if he were to get stopped, it would have been a great shame. And for me, all he needed to do was stay on his feet and not lose a 10-8 round or something like that. Because it was close. Um, but credit to him, he did stay on his feet. And he boxed quite cleverly after being hurt. And Charlo was unable to get the, you know, to get the knockout finish, and um, yeah, you know, Matty Korobov used his experience, he held on, he gritted through it, and he finished on his feet, but he still didn't get the decision, which was a little bit controversial in people's eyes, Uh, you know, that coupled with the fact that his brother had just lost a very dodgy sounding decision, a lot of people didn't agree with the, you know, the, the way that Charlo lost his title, so perhaps it was playing on the judge's mind, and they thought, you know what, we can't have them both lose in close fights, you know, so, uh, yeah, 
perhaps that was a factor, maybe not. Um, but yeah, the, the Jamel Charlo fight against Tony Harrison, friend of the show, Tony Harrison. He's now 28-2. and two. Jamel Charlo served up his first professional loss, 31-1. and one. It was for Charlo's WBC World Super Welterweight title. Um, you know, I didn't really score it or pay too much attention, but the little bits that I did see of the fight, I saw Charlo doing the better work, and it ended up going to points. As I said it could do on last week's show, I said, I went with the knockout, but I said it really could go points. I thought it was going to be a late knockout, and it did go to points, like I say, and this time, Harrison got the verdict. Um, You know, was it controversial? You tell us. Um, You know, let us know on Twitter, at Box Hard Podcast, if you thought the wrong man got the decision. But yeah, as a friend of the show, I'm very happy for Tony Harrison. Him and Charlie Edwards, two friend of the show both became world champion on the same night both for the WBC title funny enough um but yeah one thing I will say let's talk about the predictions here I as because I've kind of forgot about them as we've been going through it I gave um well we discussed the the uh Undam and Murray fight um you know I went with Undam on points so did the listeners you went with Murray uh, to win on points so me and the listeners gained a point there I said that but yeah the the Dillian White and uh, Derek Chisora fight, we, that's me and you guys, we both went with White to win on points, and the listeners went with White by knockout, so they got that one right, real, real gutsy little choice from them there, um, we talked about the Williams and Heffron fight, I went with Williams on points, so did you guys, and the listeners went with Williams by knockout, so they got that one right, so great start here, um, by the listeners, also, we talked about the Edwards and Rosales fight. I went with Edwards on points. You went with Edwards on points, Iaz. And the listeners went with Rosales to win by knockout. So we both gained a point. The listeners didn't. Um, We all went with Jamel and Jamal Charlo to both get knockouts. Both of their fights went the distance. So no one gained a point there. And the Frampton and Warrington fight. I went Frampton on points. So did did the listeners. And you went with Frampton by knockout, Iaz. And obviously none of that happened. So two points gained for me. Two points gained for you, Iaz. And the listeners gained three points. So I think you're you're trailing to them once again. Um, So that's the way the scores will stay rolling into the new year. But that's really it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new British super middleweight champion. It is, of course, Mr. Zach Parker. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you? Are you good, mate? Very good, my friend. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Got a bit of a cold, but all good, thanks. (laughs) So, Zach, first things first, it's great to finally get you on the show. Uh, You're obviously fresh off your win over Daryl Williams on points the other week on the World Boxing Super Series undercard. Um, What were your thoughts on the fight, Um, Zach? How would you assess the the performance from you, obviously, you know, what you went through to get the win? Um, Obviously, I thought I could box a lot better, but obviously, um, with with the injury happening with the second second round, I boxed like... As good, as good as I could, like with one hand, you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, I, I always like um, put myself on a downer just to make myself like be better. But um, yeah, it was moments with with one hand, like nitty gritty fight, but it was a good fight. Um, obviously, you know, people have expressed. Uh... I don't know, a dislike for the decision. Obviously, the, the scorecards has got absolutely nothing to do with you. I want to get that out there. Um, have you had a chance to watch it back at all, Zach? Have you scored it by any chance? Yeah, I've watched it back now. I, thought, I, I, I still thought it was a close fight, I thought, but um, I thought I won it by, by like about a round up two rounds. 
it was a it was a really close fight, but um, I was I was hitting with the like the shots. Uh, it, all these was like quite scrappy work, you know what I mean? Uh, mine was more of the eye catching shots. What was what was um, obviously eye catching for the refs. Yeah, for sure. And I remember there was one round in particular, I can't remember which round it was, but you went looking for him with the jab. And I mean, you were phenomenal in that round. I think it was late on at some point. But um, to to, to end all doubts uh, about the whole thing, Zach, would you be interested in a rematch at some point next year? Yeah, that's what I've said. Uh, I've always said to him, like, once um, we can get the rematch sorted, so once I've got, like, once my injuries start sorted and and I'm 100% like I'm definitely I'll definitely give him rematch you know what I mean uh, I think all the people want to see it anyway so uh, it should make out for another good fight it was a good fight the first time like it was pretty much toast toe for the whole fight uh, and now if he, want, if he wants to do it again I'm more than ready the words of a champion there that'll be fantastic to see it again um, Zach how does it feel to become British champion obviously you you expect and, and hope to go on to even bigger titles but for now this surely must be the highlight of your career how does it feel has life changed yeah yeah, it's, um, it's a title I've always wanted like my my dad's always spoke about it since I was like young so um, yeah it feels great to be like a British champion like uh, it's one of the best belts out there so yeah, yeah, over the moon with it, especially just before Christmas as well. So it's a good Christmas present to myself. Absolutely. Now, like we say, you were injured uh, so severely that it clearly affected your game. You were, you know, you were pretty much unable to throw a right hand. Um, have you ever sustained yeah. an injury, Zach, in the past that's been, you know, so severe that it's game changing like that? No, no, never. I've never like, um, never like broken bone in my body or anything. Like I've always. Never had really bad injury, like like twisted ankle, twisted ankles and that. But this this was like severe. Like the doc, the doctors were saying that I have to. Um, I don't know. how I carried on. Must have been like excruciating pain. But just had to grip my teeth and like just get on with it. You know what I mean? It was like it was the biggest fight of my life. So I couldn't couldn't just like turn it down. You know what I mean? Like pull out. Yeah, well, credit to you, Zach, for sticking in there and seeing out the fight, because if you've never experienced an injury that severe, especially on a stage like that, like you say, for the British title, then you're never really prepared for it to happen. And, you know, you went down a path you'd never been down before and you still came out came out on top. So huge credit for that. Um, Obviously, you've you've seen a doctor. I believe you've had you've had surgery on it. What is what's the latest on the injury, Zach? Um, yeah, I've uh, seen seen the doctor had surgery on it. Um, had two keyhole surgeries on it because uh, once it came out my, when in the fight, it came out my it came out of socket and it, like went back went back in. But as doing that, it's like damaged like loads tendons and uh, ligaments and stuff like that around it. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, I've had two keyhole surgeries. It's feeling like feeling loads better now. I'm just in the middle of. Um, my physio, what I'm doing up in Blackpool with uh, Jamie Physio. Uh, yeah, it's just it's feeling loads better than what it was. At first, like, I couldn't even, couldn't move it enough and had to keep it in my sling uh, for, like, it was a good, like, month or so. Yeah, it was, at first, like, like obviously, I've never been in an injury like that. Um, couldn't move my arm if I felt, like, disabled at first, but, yeah, it's feeling loads better now. Now I'm strengthening it up for physio and that, with physio. Excellent. Very good to hear that you're on the mend. Um, Zach, is it? Is it? I mean, it's a little bit early now, but have you got any idea just yet when you can possibly return to the ring? Um, I'm hoping 
towards like March, April time. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, uh, if 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 everything goes well with with my um, physio and that, that's what I'm looking for. Hopefully, um, get the rematch uh, closer close to home this time because never boxing Derby before. So I was saying to my manager Neil and that. So um, wanted to get the fight like in Derby, especially if it was a big rematch um, fight with. Um, for the British, so everyone would be loving it around uh, around Derby and that. So hopefully March, April time, mate. And you talk about Derby there. On the back of this wing, you visited your local football team, Derby County, with the belt in hand. What was that experience like for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love uh, I love going to the um, matches and football matches. Big big Derby um, fan. So yeah, it was. Um, I got a good uh, got a good applause from from everyone when I walked onto the pitch and that. So yeah. It was, so all the little things what helped, didn't they? So, yeah, it was good, it was. And what are you making of the super middleweight scene right now at world level? I mean, you're world ranked, obviously, with the WBA, WBO and IBF, if I'm not mistaken. But do you know enough about the top yeah. guys to kind of say who you believe is the, maybe the top three or top five? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been looking a little bit. Like, obviously, I've had my own fights to concentrate on that. But I'm always looking like to the future, but... A lot of them are getting on a bit now. I think, like, if you look at the British rankings, I'm, I'm not, like number seventh, and all the ones above me are like almost thirty or thirty, thirty odd. You know what I mean? So just, just have to wait and see. Like, it always changes up all the time. Like, obviously, the top guy in my division is Cam Smith, and he's just beat uh, George Groves, and uh, yeah, yeah, it. It just it's changed all the time. Obviously, we've just got Canelo come come through Rockfield as well. So just just uh, have to wait and see. Like obviously, when you get from next couple of fights, uh, try and win the British outright, then try try and move on to world level. Man. Okay, that is it's great to hear you say that. A lot of people like to try and you know skip the British the British scene, but to do it the old fashioned way is brilliant. And and the final real question I've got for you, Zach, have you got any kind of final messages just to our listeners? Have you got any sponsors that you want to thank before you you know before we let you go? Say whatever you like. Yeah, yeah just um, cheers for supporting me. Like in my box career so far, is a lot of lot of big fights come uh, from Team Parker and that. And uh, hopefully put on some more more big displays on here, yeah, like all the fans who like like watching my style. So yeah, cheers. Excellent. And where can people follow you on social media, Zach, if they aren't already following? Um, on Instagram, it's Zach, on the Instagram, Twitter, it's Zach Parker Boxer. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's about it. I've been going to them too. Okay, like me as well um, but yeah listen Zach I'd like to thank you for your time I'd like to congratulate you once again on winning the British title I wish you the absolute best with the recovery enjoy Christmas have a fantastic new year and we'll catch up with you sometime in 2019 my friend yeah nice one mate cheers Andrew okay now it's time for part two on this week's show this part of course starts with the news Ayaz take it away yes um, Jose Ramirez will face Jose Zapida on February the 10th Yes, a defence of Ramirez's world title. Obviously, Zapida, the guy that fought Terry Flanagan for the vacant title. And that's the guy who like dislocated his shoulder or whatever. And, you know, Flanagan ended up winning the belt. And uh, it was all a bit strange. It was very unlucky for Zapida. And, yeah, he gets another chance here against Ramirez. Should be interesting. Ted Cheeseman will face Sergio Garcia on February the 2nd. 
Yes, that one to happen at the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London. Um, it's a great, great fight. Sergio Garcia, I think he's about 28-0 or something like that. He's a Spanish fighter. He's probably the best fighter out of Spain between him and Kerman Lejaraga. And, you know, like we say, it's for the European title. And Sergio Garcia, the funny thing about him, or the interesting thing about him, he's promoted by the former middleweight world champion Sergio Martinez. And I think, I could be wrong, but Martinez has relocated from America, obviously, to Spain. And I think it's basically to be this guy's full-time promoter. It's something to do with that. I think that's played a part in him deciding to move across the world. So this guy is obviously pretty good. I haven't seen any clips of him, but... um. You know, it should be a decent fight. It's a real big step up for Cheeseman. Um, but yeah, step up, I believe, that he can, you know, he can take. And obviously, there's a great fight that's been rescheduled, as that we were supposed to see. I think it was in October, but it fell through last minute, and it's now been rescheduled for the undercard. Craig uh, Richards will face Jake Bull. Yeah, like I say, we were in for a treat when that fight got made the first time round. Jake Ball pulled out with a slight injury. Craig Richards was absolutely devastated, and it has been rescheduled, so thank God for that. It'd be a great fight. A lot of people were really interested in that fight. There were so many mixed opinions on how it's going to go, and it's great that we will get to see it finally. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yes, that's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving to the preview part of the show. We've not got too much to go over here. Only two fight cards. One's happening on the 30th of December on Sunday. It's happening at the Otter City General Gymnasium in Tokyo, Japan. One or two... Well, there's a couple of fights, actually, to mention here. Um, we've got... Takuma Inoue, that's the younger brother of Naoya Inoue, the guy that's just wiping everyone out and deserves a shout, really, for Fighter of the Year, which we'll be discussing in a moment. He fights for the interim WBC World Bantamweight title against Tasana Salapat, also known as Tasana Sampatan, I believe, and he's got a record of 48-0. and so that will be really, really interesting. A lot of people lose at 48 and 0. I think that's happened a few times where they've lost at 48 or 47 and 0. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. And you know, the guy, the guy Sam Patan, 48 and 0. He's only fought 17 people, if I'm not mistaken, who've got winning records. So it's very, very padded. Let's see how. Inoue Jr. gets on with him. We also have on this bill Ken Shiro, 14-0, defending his WBC light flyweight world title against Saul Juarez, who's 24-8 with two draws. And the main event over here, Masayuki Ito, 24-1 with one draw. He puts his WBO world super featherweight title on the line against Evgeny Chuprakov, who's 20-0. And I believe the winner of this will fight friend of the show, Jamel Herrin. And I think that top rank of you know, or ESPN Plus have picked up this bill. So, um, so yeah, that's quite interesting. They've picked up that bill there pretty much to show Masayuki Ito get the win. And then Jamel Herring, it kind of builds the whole thing up for early next year. And the day after that, this is on New Year's Eve, Monday the 31st, we have... Um, a fight card that's happening at the Win Palace Kotai in Macau, China. Couple fights to mention over here. We have Heki Budlar, 32 and 3. He puts his WBA Super World Light Flyweight title on the line against Hiroto Kayaguchi, who's 11 and 0. And also topping the bill, Donny Nietes, 41 and 1 with five draws, fights for the vacant WBO World Super Flyweight title against Kazuto Ioka, who's 23 and 1. Should be a brilliant, brilliant fight there. Um, for the for the for the Asian boxing fans, um, but that's really it for the preview. And like.
like I say, not much to go over, but now it's time to bring in a very special part, one thing that we do here um, only annually, only once every year. We, we talk about the biggest boxing upset of the year 2018. So get your thinking cap on here, Ayaz. Um, we've got one answer here from Editing King on Twitter. He says, Patura, the way that he beat Lewis Ritson, you know, the betting odds were absolutely ridiculous. And that was a huge upset, Ayaz. I remember at the time, I mean, we fought that Ritson was going to go through Patera like a hot knife through butter because Patera, let's get it right, lost to Sean Mashadod. And Ritson was blitzing everyone. We thought he was going to win easy and he ended up losing pretty clearly. Yeah, I mean, that was a massive upset. I mean, I'm not, I'm quite shocked at what happened after the result. But I mean, at the end of the day, boxing is boxing. You know, the judge is going to give it one decision. But what can you do? Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty shocking. I still haven't watched a fight back. I think I was at a different show or something that night, and um, I still haven't watched it back. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to watch it back after I found out the result. Um, that's from Editing King. Let's move on to at Ghoul the Ghost, and he says, The draw, Fury vs. Wilder. I mean, I don't really consider it as an upset because I think that, you know, Fury coming back from the from from where he went, really, from where he went to the dark places, you know, he'd done amazing things even to be in that ring. And, you know, I thought he was going to lose the fight. Everyone knows that. I wanted him to win. And I felt that he did win after, you know, after the 12 rounds. And he, he did some amazing things to stay on his feet and to finish on his feet, more importantly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the draw... That was it was shocking, but I wouldn't really consider it consider it an upset. Um, you know, I think perhaps the question's been slightly misunderstood. Maybe I wasn't, you know, as clear, but I mean like an upset, like an underdog to beat someone, and obviously that fight going into it, the odds were very, very close and you know, it could have gone either way really. I mean, we knew that it's either gonna be a wilder knockout or Fury on points. That's what most people knew. And Fury should have got the win on points, I shouldn't he, but it ended up being a draw. I mean, I thought, like I said, Fury won the fight, but obviously he got robbed at the end of the day. I mean, hopefully the rematch happened. I hope Fury, hopefully Fury wins it. Hopefully he does. Um, this one is from at nobody here twenty three. Um, yeah, he says also to be honest, Fury getting up after a sure knockout has to fit somewhere on everyone's list. And I tell you what, if we were doing you know an award for comeback of of, of twenty eighteen, it's hands down Fury. And also, if there was like you know a, an award for being knocked down and to get back up, it's Fury all day long. It's no competition. So I agree with you at nobody here twenty three. Um, we also have this one from Eddie Blanc Jr. Uh, he says, Harrison beating Charlo, Iaz, and I know it's right at the end of the year, and we've mentioned it, you know, just a few moments ago on the, on the review part of the show, but it's so fresh in your mind that it's really, it's really kind of hard to overlook. I mean, I said that, you know, the fight's going to probably go late or go to points. I said that, that is what happened. I wouldn't say I'm overly shocked by it, but... It is an upset, and it's the freshest one in our heads, obviously. I thought, obviously, Char- I thought, personally, like I said on the show last week, I thought Charlo was winning the fight, but, I mean, he got robbed at the end of this, so what can you do? I mean, hopefully the rematch happens and Charlo beats him. And this one is from at whiskey underscore Jim. He says, Harrison, surely. It was delightful, though. Jamel was a total B-I-T-C-H about it, which made it better. <laughs> um... What else do we have? What else do we have? We have this one from at Silver Bandit underscore. He also says, Fury not getting a unanimous decision. I mean, I was upset. You know, we were upset by it. Um, 
also what was this one this one is from at samuel a truck i could be saying that really really wrong um at samuel atr uk um I really like this one, I has, and this one I would not have thought of in a million years, and I really like this one, I really do. This could actually be my winner. Um, Obernauf to beat Natasha Jonas. 25 to 1 she was in, 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 the, in the bookies, and she absolutely beat the hell out of Natasha Jonas. It was very sad to see. That was a huge upset. Natasha, obviously, I thought Natasha Jonas was going to win that, but I mean, she got beat. I mean, that was the biggest, one of the biggest upsets I know for a fact. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, she was nailed on to win that one, and that really showed the depth in class between her and you know and the other girls at, at the same similar weight, like uh, like Chantel Cameron, like uh, Katie Taylor, that have also shared a ring with Obernalf. Um This one is from at Dion Townsend. He says, Fury not getting the win. Like I say, a lot of people sent that one in. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? What else do we have? This one from at OZ Valdino, at Oz Valdino. He says Dog Bay winning the belt and Dog Bay losing the belt. So that's that's like a double barrel. That's two in one there. I like that one. Because obviously Dog Bay was the underdog when he took on Magdaleno. And it was an epic fight. Do you know what? That is a shout for fight of the year for me. That was a brilliant, brilliant fight, man. Oh, my God. I wonder if anyone sent that one in. That's a great fight. Um, and then obviously the second fight, which we saw the other week against Navarrete. I mean, Navarrete, huge, huge in comparison to Dog Bay. And he absolutely beat the hell out of Dog Bay. It was very uncomfortable to watch. You know, Dog Bay's a, a real good friend of the show, a real good guy. So yeah, that one's definitely deserves a shout. I like that. We also had a couple of others that I really liked. And this one, this one I really do like, I as. Uh, this one, again, I think someone did their homework on this one here. This one is from at LFC Ryan 21 He says, the fella that beat Eggington. And that one's huge, eyes. Do you remember that? When when Eggington stepped in against that guy, Hassan Mwakingyo. Um, it, was a, it was a couple months back now, obviously. It was on the Khan Vargas undercard. And he completely got upset by a guy who had about three or four days' notice. He got knocked out in the second round. And it was brutal as well. It was absolutely brutal. Oh, yes, I remember that. I th- we all thought Eggington was going to win that fight. But, I mean, he got brutally knocked out. So, I mean, that was, one of, that was a shocking for me and one as well. Yeah, see, I mean, like the, the people that listen to this show, the people that interact with us on Twitter really do know their stuff. And I thank everyone for their entries here because, you know, a lot of them are really reminding me about some of this. Uh, that one was also sent in by Aussie Smith One, who I know that uh, he he plays a role in another podcast, the Nuthouse Boxing Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, by the way. I listen to every single one of their podcasts. Um, he says the same thing: Hassan Wackingyo beating Sam Eggington again. That was that was a monumental upset there. We've got a message or two actually to read here from some of our real most loyalist listeners. This one is from at. I've always wanted to know how to say this guy's name. Um, I think it's Tuba TJ. I know that he, he, he interacts with us on, on Instagram and Twitter. He says, and he sent in quite a few things here. He says here, his upset was, uh, the most surprising has to be Harrison over Charlo, although my favourite was Fury over Wilder. Watched it again, trying to be more generous towards Wilder. Still had Fury winning. Yep, I agree on both of those. And this one is from at Ricey underscore SUFC. His upset was... Um, I'm trying to find it now. He, he he sent us in such a long paragraph. Let me just let me just find it. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back into the message. He says, 
the, the upset of the year. All these things seem to happen late on, but this morning's defeat, he must have sent it the other day, uh, for Jamel Charlo against Tony Harrison has to be the upset of the year. These guys are meant to be the future of boxing, and the wheels have come off already. His brother didn't look much better either. Yes, 100% I agree there. Um, Ayaz, what was your upset of the year? For me, I'm going to go with... I mean, if it was like a men's award and a women's award, then it's got to be Obernauf against Natasha Jonas. But I think overall, it's got to be Sam Eggington against Moakinho. That was unbelievable. The upset of the year for me has to be Lee Selby versus Josh Ronson when Josh Ronson won that title. Obviously, Lee, uh, Lee Selby was a big favourite going into that fight. And obviously, we all thought that Lee Selby was going to outschool and outbox him. And obviously, Josh Ronson won the fight. And obviously, Josh Ronson has done another upset when and beating Carl Frampton. Obviously, he's been the two underdogs in both fights, yeah, and won both of them. For sure, for sure. But um, yeah, so 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 some great great entries there. So thank you to everyone that participated in that category. The next category, fighter of the year, I as an editing king on Twitter has gone with. I have to give it to Usyk with Warrington in second place. Um, also, we have. This one from at C.O. Cola, a guy called Jack on Twitter. He just says Usyk, and it's as simple as that. That's all you really do have to say for me. Um, Usyk, again, from at David J. Brycey. He says Usyk. Uh, Also, we have this one from at... Jake Eardley, he says Tyson Fury, his boxing fighter of the year, for how he has come back from the depths of suicide, depression and weight gain, true ambassador of the sport and a personal hero of mine and thousands of others. Hashtag Gypsy King, hashtag ruler of the heavyweights. And I tell you what, I don't disagree. Like I say, that you know, if there was a category for for, for comeback of the year, is Tyson Fury hands down. He should have won the you know the, the sports personality of the year. He didn't, and you know if there was a award for getting up off the canvas, then it certainly went to him again. I mean, when you look at it, he beat Wilder. Um, you know, he always had the ability to beat Wilder, and Wilder had the ability to cause him problems, which he did. And I still think he won the fight, but you know, that's one brilliant win. But the win against Sefer Seferi, I don't really. I mean, I can't really say that's, like, worthy of being mentioned as fighter of the year. And, obviously, the win against Pianetta, again, I wasn't overly impressed in those two. So, it's just a shame, but he narrowly misses out for me, and I am the biggest Tyson Fury fan. Um, this one came in from at Key Connolly 18 He says, Usyk or Canelo? A lot of people going with Usyk, Ayaz, but obviously Canelo had a fantastic year as well, just freshly coming off that win over Rocky Fielding in which he moved up in weight. The only thing what you know what disagrees with it is that, that Gennady Golovkin fight, the, you know, the second time round, because he's had two fights this year. The Rocky Fielding fight, you know, Rocky Fielding was always going to lose that fight. We all know that. And then the Golovkin fight, which again was super close, could have gone either way. And you know, it was a majority decision, and he got lucky again, really. You know, he really did. So, uh, for me, I don't think he gets it. I think he's probably pound for pound number number three or four, but he misses out because that Golovkin fight could have gone either way. He didn't beat him convincingly, and Rocky Fielding wasn't a fantastic opponent for him. Uh, this one comes in from... At Valley Legend, he says Josh Warrington, but Valley Legend, 
I know that you are a massive Warrington fan and I don't expect any different from you. I really expected you to say that and you come out with that. But to be honest, you've got a shout. I mean, I have said it as well. Um, you know, those two wins back-to-back, world title fights against big-name Brits. He's beaten both. He was underdog in both. And, you know, he's beaten convincingly in both. I mean, look how wide I had Warrington winning. Um, this one comes in from at... The Boxing Madman, he says, can only be Usyk. Um, This one comes in from former world champion himself, a man that got dethroned of his title earlier on this year at, well, I don't have to say at, I can just say his name, Caleb Truax. He says, Usyk, no question about it, he says. Um, This one came in from at Tuba TJ once again. He says, Fighter of the Year, hard to argue against Usyk. And obviously this one that came in from Ricey, he says, Fighter of the Year, this has to be split into international and domestic. I'll give you that one, Ricey. He says, I'd love to give it to Warrington, but that would be harsh on Usyk, who's won all three of his fights on the road and unified the cruiserweight division in impressive fashion. Um, He's my international pick, but domestically, Warrington winning as the underdog against Selby, who people said was the best in the division. Not quite sure I agree with that one. And then his defence to be against Frampton. He could have quite easily have taken an easy fight for his first defence, but he chose to take a really hard fight. He's something special and will hopefully unify in 2019. Brilliant, brilliant entries once again. Um, we are going to do what Ricey said. Let's split it into two. So let's kind of let everyone have a winner here. I think domestically, definitely Warrington Ayaz, and internationally, 100% Usyk. Do you disagree? Honestly, we agree with you that um, obviously in third place I'd have to put Daniel White in there because I mean he's had a very good year as well. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's, he's had very good knockouts. He's destroyed, absolutely knocked out Lucas Brown, left him flat, flat, flat faced. Then he's went on to beat Joseph Parker, and now he's went on and then he's absolutely knocked out Derek Tazora. So in my order have to be Usyk, Warrington, and Dillian White. Okay, giving us three. Um... You know, we talk about domestically and, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But what I will say is, Lewis Rickson, I mean, when he won the British title last year and he got his three successful defences this year and a knockout in the first round against Joe Murray, knockout in the second round against Scott Cardle and a knockout in the first round against the undefeated Paul Hyland Jr. You can't take that away from him. But after that, he fought a keep busy fight against Oscar Amador. It took him three rounds to get rid of him. But then when we say he stepped in against Patera for the European and he got beat and now that basically ruined his chances of having a perfect year. Um, you know, you can't be this knockout machine and lose to Patera on points in your backyard when Patera lost to Masha Dodd, for Christ's sake. But maybe five fights in a year was way too much for Ritson. It was actually five fights in eight months when you look a little bit closer to that. But um, it's interesting to see what happens with him next year. But he would have been nailed on for domestic fighter of the year. You know, a little bit lower down than, than Warrington, obviously. But five outings there. Um... Again, Lawrence Acoli, not fighter of the year in terms of the action that's happened in the fights, but certainly wins of the year domestically. He deserves a mention. I mean, the win over the undefeated Isaac Chamberlain, the knockout of the undefeated Luke Watkins, and then the controversial win against Matty Askin, where he arguably should have been disqualified. But forget about that. He won the fight round by round, and it hasn't always been pretty from Akoli, but he's gone from very, very exciting fighter to being a bit of a boring one. But again, you can't question that he's pretty much had three 50-50 fights this year, and he's won all of them. 
them and he's totally cleaned up domestically and unquestionably he's the best cruiserweight in Britain right now um, you know especially that Tony Bellew's retired so yeah for me he's the best cruiserweight that we've got um, but yeah talking of fighter of the year I've got to also give an honourable mention to Regis Progre, who went through the year with three wins also, a win over former world champion Julius Indongo, in which he had a last-minute opponent change. It was supposed to be uh, Victor Postel, but about two weeks to go until the fight, he pulled out and instepped Indongo, a very tall southpaw. You know, he completely had to scratch the original game plan, and he went in and knocked him out in two rounds. He had him down four times. He did it quicker than Crawford. And then he fought the undefeated Juan Velasco. He knocked him out in eight rounds. He had him down three times that win then secured his place in the world boxing super series tournament and in the first round he picks to take on terry flanagan he beat terry flanagan wide in a good fight he dropped flanagan along the way which many people are unable to do so a big mention to him but for me as unquestionably it is Usyk to get proper fighter of the year. And, you know, that reason has been outlined or underlined by many of the entrants here. He fought three times. The semi-final of the World Boxing Super Series against Breedis, the undefeated Breedis. He beat Breedis in Latvia in his backyard. It was a fantastic fight, arguable for fight of the year. He took his WBC title off him on points. He went on to the final. He completely dominated the undefeated Gassiev in his backyard of Russia. It was unbelievable. He took Gassiev. IBF and WBA belts he shut him out on points and then he came over here and he fought Tony Bellew in an epic event he went into Bellew's backyard so to speak and although we all expected Usyk to win it was very competitive for most of the fight until Usyk brutally brutally knocked Bellew out and again I think we've even had that as one or two of the entrants for knockout of the year that knockout against Tony Bellew there um, moving on now as quick as possible to fight of the year and like I say um, we just mentioned it there uh, Bellew Usyk this one comes in from at Sedum Amma a friend of the show uh, she says Bellew versus Usyk for me it was fight of the year because they roped us in emotionally and they truly truly did I mean we all thought the Usyk would win but the way that Bellew started the fight I mean he was winning the fight for me and you know it was catching up with him and Usyk was brilliant that night you know his feet were unbelievable and you know he got the epic highlight reel knockout in the end but it was a very very good fight while it lasted it was very um you know it was very intense uh, this one is from at Ricey underscore SUFC. He says, fight of the year, this is a hard one. You always tend to go with fights that have happened later on in the year. 100% true. It just so happens that for me, the standout fight happened the other night. Warrington versus Frampton was an absolute war and edge of your seat stuff throughout the whole fight. I cannot think of another fight like this this year that tops it. I tend to agree. I think it was a fantastic fight. Uh, this one is from at Eddie Blanc Jr. He says, Fury Wilder or Warrington Frampton. So we've had a couple of Warrington Framptons now. Uh, this is from at Don Daddy D. He says, Fury Wilder, Takam Chisora or Inue fights in general. <laughs> Um, yeah, Fury Wilder, fantastic, captivating fight. Takam Chisora, I didn't think it was a fantastic fight. I think Takam was beating the crap out of Chisora till he walked onto one. Um, Inoue fights have only gone one round this year, if I'm not mistaken. Another guy that deserves to be mentioned for Fighter of the Year, the way he absolutely wiped out McDonnell when he moved up in weight. He entered the World Boxing Super Series tournament and... Um, you know, he's, he started with a bang. He got the knockout in the first round once again for, for him there. Yeah, so a good shout there from at Don Daddy D. Uh, we've also had from at Valley Legend, Warrington Frampton. 
we know that Danny is a big Warrington fan. Um, also, this one is from at the Boxing Madman. He says, Alex Salcedo versus Lenny Zapovigna. I like that. He's pulled that out of his hat there. That's a brilliant, brilliant fight, that one there. Um, this one is from at Tuba TJ. He says, fight of the year for emotional investment, definitely Fury versus Wilder. And that, again, is one that you cannot argue with. Ayaz, what was your fight of the year? Fight of the year? Mm, that's a very, very tough one. There's so many. I mean, it's like I say, most of the fights early on in the year, I've forgotten I mean, if it's for yeah. me personally, it probably has to be Canelo, uh, Canelo and Triple G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with you on that. Yeah, even though, you know, I, I still don't think Canelo deserved the win. I think it probably should have been a draw. I can't remember my scorecard now, but it was something like a draw. I definitely didn't have Canelo winning the fight, but he did make adjustments. He did look better in that second fight. Um, it was a lot closer than, than the first one. and um, But yeah, it was such a tactical affair. And I tell you what, I think I, I, think I have to agree. I think I go with that. Um, Fury Wilder again was one right up there for me and Warrington Frampton was fantastic as well as I know you haven't had time to see that one but definitely check that one out and coming down to the last two categories now we are left with not many people entered for this one actually this one is prospect of the year this one is from at Ricey underscore SUFC he says prospect of the year Jordan Gill for me he has had an exceptional year. Had Josh Kelly's fight gone ahead with David Avanesian and he won, he would have been my prospect, but I'm going to go with Gill. Do you know what? I think Jordan Gill, I mean, he's gone on to now become the Commonwealth champion and credit to him for doing that. You know, he beat Ryan Doyle. He absolutely beat the hell out of Doyle. I was sat ringside for that. He had a good win over David Burner back in August. He had a good win over Carl McDonald, but again, that guy was only 3-1. and one. He beat him, completely shut him out. But the win against Cunningham... There were some rocky moments late on for him there. Even though he won unanimously over 10, he was in real, real deep water in that in the last couple rounds. I think it may have been the last round. So that, for me, was a little bit questionable. So for me, I'm not going to give him prospect of the year for that. I think there was a, a few little hiccups there. Um, that one is Ricey Dunn. We now have this one from at Tuba TJ. He says, prospect of the year... I think Hergovic just edges out Joe Joyce because of the level of opposition with Mansour and Johnson. And you know what? I agree. That's my one there. Um, it's definitely got to be Hergovic. What do you think, Ayaz? What's your who's your prospect of the year? I should say. It has to be Ryan Garcia. Ooh, I like that one. No one said that one, Ayaz. Do you know what? No one actually said I that think, one. I mean, I think he's the... going to be a big star in the future, and I think he will. Oscar. Yeah, I mean, the... he's had. He's had four fights this year. Um, Fernando Parra, he knocked him out in a round. The guy was 32 and 13 with three draws. The win against Jason Velez, he practically shut him out. Nine rounds to one over 10. Uh, the win against Carlos Morales, though, was a majority decision over 10. That one was a little bit iffy. And then, obviously, recently, the way he completely took apart Braulio Rodriguez on the Canelo undercard. He's now linked up with Canelo's trainer. So that should be interesting. A bright future for him. Um, but, yes, yeah, an interesting shout from you there. Eyes, but for me, um, I'm sure that someone went with someone I thought went with Tiafimo Lopez, but maybe not. Um, okay, well, for me, I'm gonna side with 
Tuba TJ, and I'm going to completely say, Philippe Hergovic, obviously the 2016 Olympic bronze medalist, and the reason behind that is he's had five fights this year. Um, a win in the fourth round, a TKO against Tom Little back in January. Then he completely shut out Sean Turner in February over eight rounds. Then he took on a guy who was 9-0, Filiberto Tovar. Um, he knocked him out in four. Then he knocked out Amir Mansour in three. And then he just beat Kevin Johnson a couple weeks back, completely shut him out over eight rounds. So for me, Filip Hergovic at heavyweight. And I think he's going to be a real problem in the future. So that, for me, gets it. Brilliant shout there from Atuba TJ. And then finally, the knockout of the year, probably the most exciting category. Let's start with at Ricey underscore SUFC. He says, knockout of the year, Usyk on Bellew. It was brutal, but... Tiafimo Lopez on Mason Menard was outstanding. That kid is going to be the one to watch in 2019. As I said a moment ago, um, I know that his name come up somewhere, so a good shout there from, from you, Ricey. The early hours of the morning, if you were up, you got to see that brutal knockout of Menard in about 30 seconds of the first round. A guy that almost took Devin Haney the distance, so that's a brilliant shout. This one's from At Sedamama. She says, seeing Lucas Brown's skin fly off his face when he got brutally knocked out by a Dillian some serious word in there from from Sedam. What's that about? I thought <laughs> that's a bit brutal for you. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't think I'd word it like that. But it was a brutal, brutal knockout. It was really, really dangerous. This one's from at Eddie Blanc Jr. He says Alvarez knockout of Kovalev. That one certainly deserves a shout. Or, you know, a fight where Kovalev was in in control. He was winning the fight and he got stopped. This one's from. At Don Daddy D, he says, Dave Allen's knockout of Nick Webb. I had written Dave Allen off. I was disappointed in his condition. I felt let down. I was bored of the one-sided fight. I was ready to turn the channel, and then, boom, I'm out of my sofa cheering. Also, the one where O'Hara Davies spun his opponent. I think that was the, the South African fighter. I forgot the guy's name at the minute, but that was a good one. I was there for that one. Um, but, yeah, Dave Allen's knockout against Nick Webb. I mean, that was epic as well. Nick Webb, by the way, got knocked out bad the other week, and it was probably... Probably worse than that. And it was against a guy, uh, Sokolowski, who's got a, a serious losing record. And then coming down to the last the last one or two here, this one's from at Jake Eardley. He says, Usyk over Bellew or Gavosdik over Stevenson, though I do hope that Stevenson makes a full and speedy recovery. And there's good news on that. Adonis Stevenson has woken from his, from his medically induced coma. So all the very best to Adonis Stevenson. Uh, this one is the final one. It's from at Tuba TJ. He says... I hope I'm saying his name right because I've been saying that all night. His knockout is Lomachenko's knockout over Linares. Boy, oh boy. I mean, it was a, I don't want to say it was a quit, but um, the way he spun it round from being dropped himself and then to get up and do what he did, it was unbelievable. But for me, I as no one said it, and, it, and my knockout of the year on the 31st of March in Cardiff, the Joshua versus Parker undercard, David Price Povetkin. Brutal. And I tell you why, it was because we knew it was going to happen, not necessarily before the fight. I know most of us thought that Price was going to get knocked out before the fight, but we knew it was going to happen before the punch landed because he hit him. He was completely dazed, David Price. He dropped his hands, and we just literally put our hands over our face. We were looking through our fingers, and then he landed that brutal left hook. Completely, completely out of it, David Price was. Like I say, the guard had dropped. He didn't know where he was, and... Um, he was open, he was completely defenceless, and he took a huge left hook there. What was your knockout of the year? The Dillian White versus Lucas Brown, because I think that was the best knockout of the year. Okay, that was the one what Sedamama decided to use some seriously 
uh, over descriptive words for <laughs> but no certainly certainly up there that one it really was brutal that and David Price Povetkin but yeah that's really it we've gone through all the fun things there um, we've, we've, we've talked about many many categories there we brought you the review and we brought you part one I has brought you the news we did a bit of preview in and now it's time to welcome the second of our three guests on this Christmas special podcast Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO junior welterweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Chris Algieri. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Hey, it's my pleasure to have you on, Chris. So, Chris, you've been a boxer now um, professionally for just over 10 years. Um, you know, personally, myself, I will never, ever forget what went down on June 14th, 2014 at the Barclays Center for you to get dropped twice in that first round. I mean, I remember watching it live and thinking, oh, dear, this is going to end very badly, very quickly for Chris Algieri. But you got back up from both knockdowns in the first round. You went on to dominate the rest of the fight. I'm sure that's a night you'll never, ever forget. No, absolutely. That definitely goes down as uh, one of the most amazing nights of my life. Um, you know, that, that, that night, not only just because of the victory and the way that it happened, but that just represented so much of what was going on in my career um, throughout my whole life. You know, that, that, was, that meant so much to me. That, that, that just epitomized all the hard work, all the sacrifice, all the doubts, all the doubters. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was an, an amazing, incredible night I'll never forget. Yeah, it, it truly was. And then, of course, after dethroning Provodnikov, you became the WBO world champion. You then left the title behind and, and chose to go up in weight to fight Manny Pacquiao. Uh, obviously, that fight took place in China. You were 20-0 and undefeated at the time, but obviously it was your, your first career loss. Talk us through that fight in your own words, if you can, Chris, a true mega fight. You know, that, that um, I don't ever consider that just the fight. I really consider that like the event because there was so much going on. Uh, leading up to it, you know, we had a, we had a, we had shoot, what was it? A, it was a three week press tour where we went to seven different cities all across the globe. Um, you know, it was, it was incredible. It was just like, it, it was just a wave of, of going from who's this guy, you know, fighting Provotnikov to, you know, world renowned, you know, signing autographs, um, in China and signing autographs in Shanghai and signing iPhones and people's body parts and clothes and, it, I mean, it was, it was insane. Um, and then, you know, the training camp, we, we actually held it in Las Vegas in one of the, in one of the hotels, which was, you know, uh, it was like a movie and, um, you know, then, and then fight night, you know, it was everything that we prepared for, um, or, or at least I thought I prepared for, but Manny Pacquiao is an absolute incredible individual. You know, he's one of the best fighters that we've, we've ever seen. Um, and I'll say, you know, dealing with him and his style, the hardest part was preparing for him. You know, there's nothing out there like them. You can't, you can't fight like Manny Pacquiao. You can't teach someone to fight like Manny Pacquiao. Um, he just is what he is. So, um, you know, I think being in there with, with a guy like that and realizing how how special certain people could be was uh, was a real eye eye opener. And, you know, you, you mentioned Manny Pacquiao. It's very hard to prepare for him, obviously. Some of the quickest hands we've ever seen in boxing. And straight after that fight, Chris, you get in with another guy who's widely regarded as one of the, you know, having one of the quickest hands or the, the, the quickest hands in boxing, Amir Khan. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like to fight him? So Amir Khan, oddly, for whatever reason, I always had in my mind, even from uh, a, a budding prospect, that I was going to fight Amir Khan at some point. Uh, I'm not sure why I just kind of had a feeling and, you know, the opportunity arose and, and, and I jumped to the chance. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys probably wouldn't come off their first loss and jump into a, a big fight with, with Amir Khan. But, 
um, I saw the opportunity there and, and uh, I knew I had what it takes to make that a great fight. Um, so we took it and, um, yeah, Amir's another one, you know, the guy he's, he's going to go down as an all time. Great. I mean, he's, he's incredibly fast, super talented. And I've said it in, in numerous interviews since then. And to this day on any given night, Amir Khan can probably beat anybody in the world. If, if he finds his rhythm and does what he does and uses his talents, um, you know, he, he can, he can beat anybody. Yeah, it really would have been good if we if we did see that uh, that Mayweather calm fight. I mean, it's just one that escaped us. Um, Chris, who would you say had the faster hands out of Manny and Amir? You know, it's different. I, I, I I've said this before, but I think actually Amir Khan is probably quicker. Um, you know, in terms of his 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 combinations, um, I'd say Manny probably has like the faster first step. You know, his 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 initial movement is is super quick. But his combinations don't come off as fluidly and as quick as as Amir's do. Um, so it's it, they're different kinds of speed. But if I was going to have to pick one, I'd say I'd say Amir's probably faster. Okay, and then of course you bounce back in um, with with Eric Bone, um, a win against him, dropping him along the way, and then you jumped in with Errol Spence. I mean, back then Spence was on the come up, and now he's regarded as one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. Is he the best fighter that you've been in with, um, Chris? No, no, Manny Pacquiao's the best fighter I've ever been with. Um, uh, Spence, I think, is, is in terms of um, his maturity and, and, and his level and where he's going to go hasn't been decided yet. Um, he's still growing as a fighter. He still has a lot more to do. Um, I think he has all the tools, for sure, to be uh, one of the best fighters in the world and, and, and potentially a, a multiple division world champion and, and, and a guy that we would look back on as a man, that guy was a monster. Um, but he just hasn't done it yet. He still has a lot more growing, do a lot more time. Um, you know, having talent, having skills, having everything on paper doesn't make great champions, you know, because you, you, you see guys the other way around that you don't expect much out of them. And then they become, look at Manny Pacquiao, you know, his career, you know, before he came to the States and before Freddie Roach was, you know, he was good. He was a world champion. You know, he had a couple losses. He would stop a few times. Now he's going to be, he's going to regard it as, as an all time great. You know, you have to, you have to prove yourself where it matters and that's in, in between the ropes um on a paper is great but the, the, this is boxing you got a box and then chris you seemingly disappeared for about two and a half years i mean most people didn't think you'd ever box again we saw you in the build-up uh, the build-up tv shows to like the golovkin jacobs fight where you were um danny jacobs nutritionist and chef mm -hmm. is that something that's still ongoing or is that not a thing anymore yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, you know, I, I was I've been in Daniel's camp for four four camps now, um, and I've actually, you know, been in his corners as well. Um, I'm there for all of his sparring sessions. Um, I'm there helping along uh, head coach Andre Razier. So, um, you know, I'm in all those corners. I'm part I'm part of Team Jacobs, and that that's not, not going to change anytime soon. Even with with my career revamping up. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I stepped away from the sport for a while. Had some issues. Had some injuries. Um, I actually had a pretty bad knee injury going into that Spence fight that I needed to really take some time and, and make sure I was 100% before I came back. And I also had some out-of-the-ring troubles, uh, promotional, contractual stuff that, that really extended the, uh, uh, the the break longer than I really wanted it to be. But I had never retired. You know, that, that's, that's a misnomer. A lot of people out there thought that I retired for a while and now I'm making a comeback. That's not the case. Um, I was just kept out of the ring longer than I expected. So you knew that you were going to definitely return, or was there any doubt at all that you may not return? Uh, there was some doubt when I was coming back from the knee injury, um, if I could be the same person I was, and if I couldn't, then I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a realistic guy. Um, <clears throat> I understand you know, certain things 
can affect you going forward. And, and I, I don't need to fight. I, I love, I love to fight and I've always been that way. I've never needed to fight. I've never needed to box. This has never been my escape from, from my life. It's, it's, it's been completely different. Um, this is something that I've always chose to do. Um, and I've always said that I can retire at any time, you know, and, and if I couldn't get back to where I was before or where I am right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't resume my career. It's far too dangerous to go in there and not be hundred percent. And I remember in the build-up to the Pacquiao fight, you were an active world champion, but you were still living in the basement of your parents' house, and it kind of struck everyone of how, you know, how much of a normal guy, uh, you know, you, you can come across. Have you moved out now, um, or are you still there, Chris? <laughs> I'm literally doing this interview from my 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 mother's kitchen, oh. so <laughs> I have moved out, yes, but I'm here quite a bit. Um, uh, so I. Um, I'm very close to my family. If that didn't come across in, in you know all the HBO coverage and the ESPN and whatnot, and that's never going to change. My brother has four four sons, and they're like my my second kids. So for me um, to watch them grow up and be around is, is very important. So I don't want to I don't want to stray too far from from the household. Oh, that's a beautiful thing, man. Now you returned to the ring on November 30th in New York. What was it like getting back in the ring, Chris? Was it nerve wracking at all for you? I mean, of course, there's always nerves around the fight. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I chose to go back to the Paramount Theater in New York in my hometown. I wanted some extra pressure. I wanted to have to deal with, um, you know, that venue, for those who haven't been there, and probably most people listening have not been there, um, it's, a, it's actually a music venue. And it's very, very tight. And um, it's, it's a small venue, but it, it's, it's lively. And just because of the music, it's a music venue, the, the acoustics in there are, are, are amazing. So even a thousand people sounds like a hundred thousand people when you're in there. <clears throat> Plus it's also my friends and family. So that extra added pressure. Um, I wanted that for my first fight back. I've been out of the ring for two and a half years and more than, more than what's going to happen inside the ropes. I, I really needed to, to shake off the rust of warming up in the back and, and coming through that hole and walking into the ring and staring across the ring across at your opponent. Um, those are the kind of things that I think a lot of people don't think about. They just think about, all right, you know, it, 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 you got your gloves on, you're fighting, and, 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 you know, honestly, for most fighters, that's the, that's the easy part, especially for me. Um, but I needed to kind of go through that whole experience, and I think going to my hometown was the perfect way to, to bring that back and, and, and test the waters. And I think uh, I, I did it with flying colors. It felt great. I really felt at home uh, figuratively and, and, <laughs> and actually. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's great to be back. And you took on Angel Hernandez, a man with 14 wins, 11 losses. But the main factor uh, was that he's, you know, he'd never been stopped, and he he is a the kind of guy that would take you rounds. And you jumped straight back in uh, to a 10 round fight. And I was quite surprised um, with that, to be completely honest. You you won pretty much every round. It was a shutout. Talk us through the fight, um, um, Chris. And you know, how did it feel, kind of being in there? We talked about before the fight, but actually exchanging punches. How did it feel to be back? Yeah, I mean, looking back at the opponent, he's probably not the most, <laughs> that's not the smartest move to come back for you for your first fight back, but I want a rounds. I don't want to go out there and just blow somebody out in two rounds and not get anything, not get anything out of it. I needed to, I needed to work through, you know, my style and work through the old injuries and make sure that everything was, was firing right. And, and, you know, we knew we had a guy in front of us who on paper didn't have a great record, actually an ugly record, but when you look past those numbers, you know, he, he'd never been stopped. Um, you know, he's, he's fought undefeated guy after undefeated guy 
he's won rounds against former world champions. And he fought Robert Easter and won rounds against the guy, you know, like that, that he's in there to win and he's in there in tough fights and he's got split decisions against good fighters and undefeated guys and in their hometown. So, um, you know, he, he he's a tough guy and, and, and we knew that going in. Um, so, and I actually made a little, uh, agreement with myself, which I didn't tell anybody. And I said, if I, if I had lost a couple rounds against him, I was going to retire. So it was really important for me to go out there, dominate the fight. I was looking for the stoppage. I thought there were times where I could have, um, but he's a tough, crafty guy. And so for me, it was just to, to, to go out there and, and win every round. And cause that's, that's where I see myself. I'm seeing myself where I was when I left. I want to return like I never left. Um, and if I can't go out there and, and outclass and outbox a guy like that, then I probably shouldn't be here anymore. Okay, very honest, honest for you to come out and say that. Um, coming down to the last couple of questions, really, Chris, um, do you have a plan of what's going to happen next with you? When would we hear um, about your next fight? And in the year of 2019, how active are you looking to be? How many fights are you looking to have? Well, I'm actually in training camp right now, getting ready for my next fight. Um, I should know in the next few days I'm going to be announcing it, but uh, we're looking at early January. Um, you know, I really didn't skip a beat from the last fight. I have no injuries to speak of, so... Um, I took a week to, to kind of let my mind rest and kind of absorb everything. And then I got right back into the gym last week. I'm sparring this week coming up. So we got a couple more weeks of training and then, uh, I should know exactly when we're fighting, um, in the next few days, which will be announced on my social media. ASAP. Brilliant. As, Brilliant. as for the rest of the year, I want to stay as busy as possible. You know, I want to, I want to, you know, I've been, a, I've been out of the ring two and a half years. I want to kind of make up for lost ground. And I've always been a guy who's been active. You know, my 2014, I fought uh, Emmanuel Taylor, Ruslan Frankov, and Manny Pacquiao all in the same year. You know, back to back to back big fights, ESPN main event, HBO main event, pay per view main event. So, um, you know, for high level guys, you don't really see guys fighting three times a year on major shows like that. Um, I want to get back to that. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant to hear you to hear you say that and to be back in the ring so soon after that win the the other week. Um, we mentioned Errol Spence, Chris. Uh, he's fighting Mikey Garcia next, as you all know. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that fight? Who wins it? Uh, it's an interesting fight, and um, you know, initially just thinking the size difference is 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 going to be too much, uh, or is too much, and probably will be too much. But Mikey Garcia is a great fighter, and stylistically, you know, he does pose problems for for spence's style but i think spence where he's at right now with the momentum that he has the fact that he's much bigger two-way classes if not more um he's a southpaw and he's so dominant you know he's a, he's a really strong powerful guy and he's got great technique and a good amateur pedigree um you know it, it's yeah it's just, it's just it's hard for me to see it any other way besides you know the bigger man beating the smaller man we shall see. And it is the month of December, Chris, and we ask all of our guests on the show the same question here. Um, what is on your Christmas wish list? What are you asking for pretty much um, You know, in terms of your career? What can happen in a realistic world in 2019? Where do you want to be this time next year? I want to be a world champion next year. 2019 is, 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 2018 is my comeback. It took a little longer than I expected. I wanted to be back early in 2018, but the game plan has always been the same. 2019 Chris Algieri is champion of the world best of luck with, with that Chris and um, Manny versus versus Broner I just want to throw this question in I wasn't going to ask you but you know you've been in there with Manny how do you see that fight playing out not only have I been in there with Manny but I actually commentated and called Manny's last fight against Lucas Matisse when he in Malaysia good. he looked like he rolled back the years there he did. He did. He, he's not exactly the same Manny as he used to be. He's much more flat-footed. But what I was really looking for for the aging athlete is 
how was his timing? How was his ability to see punches? How was his reactions? And all of those looked really good. He uh, his judge of distance was very ex- was excellent. He was able to make make Matisse just miss and then come right back in and counter. Um, his timing, his ability to pull the trigger was there. Um, he didn't have that skittishness when the punches were coming at him, even though Matisse is a good puncher. So those are the things that I was looking for. Um, and I think that he passed those with flying colors. And, and that shows me that Manny Pacquiao is still a force to be reckoned with. And because of that, uh, I got him in the burner fight. I like to ask our guests, whenever we speak to somebody from overseas, I like to ask, and the, the, the listeners like to know also, um, what is your, or who is your favorite UK fighter from any era? I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. But, from um, any era? Any era. Mm. <laughs> that's a, that's, shoot, that's a, that's a, that's a deep question. I'm thinking back now. Um, oh, I feel like I'm going to save somebody and then I'm going to come back and think, no, I should have uh, you know, Barry McGuigan, man. Um, yeah, he. I I've watched so many of his fights from long ago. I'm I'm an I'm an old boxing guy. I got so many VHS tapes of other guys. But yeah, Barry McGuigan was, uh, man, just just technical and, and and tough and in tough fights and fought tough fighters and. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I gotta go with that right now. I, I may come back and be like, Oh wait, no, but I think, I think that's what I'm going. <clears throat> okay. Cause we get a lot of Prince Nassim Hamid, obviously. And you know, Lennox Lewis, people like that. I think, but that, you know, cause those, those are the guys that we've seen over here. Um, you know, those are the guys that are kind of in the forefront of, of what, what Americans think of as, you know, UK fighters, but I've actually watched, <laughs> I've actually watched guys from over there. So I, 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 you know, I'm not going to go with the obvious. Okay, I like your choice. I mean, Barry is—he's um, actually Irish, so it doesn't really class as British. But I'll let you get away with it. Chris. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I was thinking—I was thinking, I was thinking European fine. fighters, but okay. I'm no, sorry. That's fine. That. That's absolutely fine. People do confuse it. It's completely fine. We'll—we'll we'll stick with Barry. I think it's, you're probably not the first person to say that, anyway. Um, and finally, Chris, just before we let you go, have you got any kind of message to your UK supporters from over here? What is your message to those guys before we let you go? Yeah, keep, keep tuning in. Keep following my career. I, w- I would love to fight over there someday. Um, you got a lot of great fighters out there, a lot of super tough guys and good champions. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just across the pond is not, is, is not too bad of a trip. I, I don't mind going over there either. So um, hopefully I can I can make it over to 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 the U.K. and and, and show my skills out there. I would really appreciate that. That would be excellent. Listen, Chris, I'd like to thank you for your time this week. Congrats once again on your win. I wish you a happy Merry Christmas, or happy Christmas, I should say, and a great new year, and hopefully we catch up again very soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Chris Algeri there. I really did enjoy that interview. It's always great to speak to someone that's been in there with some of the best fighters of their era. Not to mention that obviously Chris Algeri isn't just an opponent or someone like that, but actually a world-level fighter himself. I really do wish him all the very best with his quest to get back in 2019. It's now time to welcome, though, our third and final guest on this Christmas special podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2012 Olympic gold medalist and former lightweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Luke Campbell, MBE. Luke, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, how are you doing? Very good, my friend. Very good. So, Luke, first things first. I mean, you had an excellent amateur career, as I just mentioned there, topping it off by winning the Olympic gold in London 2012. But tell me, Luke, what age were you when you first put on a pair of gloves and what was the reason that you laced them up? I was 18 years old, 
and honestly, I can't really tell you a reason why I, I laced the gloves up. It was, it was more. I just thought that boxing was cool, and that was it really. And I thought you could win some trophies, <laughs> and that that was that's all it took. Excellent man. I remember speaking to someone else. I think it was Barry Jones actually. I think he once told me that the reason he got into boxing was similar uh, similar reasons because you got a trophy even if you lost. So it's funny. Yeah, if you got a trophy, yeah. <laughs> some trophies. But like I say, um, you know, your amateur career was fantastic. Out of all the guys yeah. that you that you fought that eventually turned pro, who would you say was your best amateur win um against? Because, you know, you've got Ray Vargas who's doing brilliant as a pro at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, I, I, I had 178 amateur fights, I think, and wow. you know, I, I had, uh, I had some great wins. Um, so it's hard actually to say. I mean, there's, there's also a Mexican guy who was a, a, a world champion that beat in the Junior Olympics. Um, that's a world champion. Um, I think he's at Bantamweight or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I also beat him in 2004. Um, so I had some great wins. And there's obviously this still some of the amateurs that are still competing now, um, winning world championships and stuff that I've been against and, and beat. But it wasn't easy. It, it was never easy, I like to say. You know, and it... it and people you may look back, you know, yeah, he won this, he won that. But let me tell you, there was a lot of, uh, I took a few losses um, and there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of bad decisions, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it was never easy and straightforward. It was it was difficult, and but I kept going, kept my head down and, you know, eventually I got everything I wanted to get. Excellent, man. Excellent. And like I say, you turned pro in 2013. Uh, you know, the first real big fight of note for you, I guess, was probably the Tommy Coyle fight, August 2015. Yeah. I remember actually before the fight thinking to myself, this could be really interesting. But ultimately, you know, you were able to outclass a very gutsy Tommy Coyle and you showed some real yeah. spite there in the 10th round to get the stoppage. Yeah, I mean, it was my first 12 rounders, uh, first 12 rounder as well. I mean, I've never even. I think I'd only ever been seven rounds before. Um, so I was, in the back of my mind, I was probably thinking about that a little bit. Um, otherwise, I would have probably put the foot on the throttle a little bit earlier and got him out of there earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a great fight. Uh, and it was my first real fight with the actual builder, which was pretty good. And then, like I said, December of the same year, we saw the Eva Mendy fight, a fight where, you know, you yeah. touched the canvas for the first time, you got back up, but ended up losing by a split decision, a fight which was very, very close despite the knockdown. What seemed to go wrong for you that night, Luke? Um, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have been in there. It, it wasn't nothing like ability uh, or tactical um, or anything like that. It was purely, um, purely, I just shouldn't have been in there that night, you know, um, I think I did a virus in that last week of training, and I felt like crap, and my body, and my body was just like really not responding on anything. But like I say, um, there's no point in going round of it. I, I took a hard lesson there when it, I really it was a lesson that I didn't really need to have, um, a tough lesson. But I got it, and I, you know I've revenged that now and, and turned that over. So. I'm only really saying I've got one loss on my record, and that's uh, against Linares, which was uh, again a split decision over in his back garden. 
on his shirt. And I honestly thought I'd, I'd nick that fight. I thought I won seven rounds out of uh, out of the twelve, and thought and thought I nicked it. So, so like I said, that, that after that Mendy fight, obviously you came back. You took on Gary Sykes for the Commonwealth. You stopped him in two. Then you fought the former IBF super featherweight world champion Argenis Mendez. Now, aside from yeah. one of Mendez's losses, he'd only lost to world champions. And you know, despite having one or two hiccups, you went on to dominate that fight. Really, um, that seems like a real significant win. Looking back now, yeah, no, it was a great win, and he's still he's still gone on. Um, he's up at one forty now, I think. And he's had a couple of great wins himself. He's been doing good. It was, and I, I lost one round in that whole fight. Yeah, but no, a brilliant performance from you. Like I say, very dominating and very significant looking back. And you know, after that, you went on a free fight knockout streak. Derry Matthews in four, in which was a great fight while it lasted. By the way, um, Gyro Lopez yeah, in you. two, and you know, a man yeah. that we know very well, Dalis Perez in nine. Um, do you want to give yeah. us a word on any of those before we move on to the big one, the the Linares fight? Yeah, um, yeah, no, there was all decent opponents, and uh, and again, just climbing the ladder and stepping up. So I just did my job and put in there and got a good victory. Yeah, in each in each of those three, and then like I say, the big one, Jorge Linares, Inglewood, California. Um, you know, a bit of a nightmare start to the fight, obviously being dropped in the second round, but you got back up. You yeah. showed tons and tons of heart, Luke, and you gave Linares hell for many rounds, and you ended up losing. Like I say, a very questionable split decision. I won't say yeah. um, I won't say a robbery. I think it was too close to be called that. But please walk yeah. us through the fight, Luke. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say it was a robbery. Like I said, I, I thought I nicked the fight. I thought I won seven rounds um, out of the 12. And, you know, all, all they all that they was saying really was that the knockdown won them the fight. Um, but I still thought I won seven rounds out of it. But that being said, I am over over in, over in the pond in his back garden on his show, his Golden Boy show. So I'm... Um, you know, I'm on their show, and it's all the show was for him to go on to fight in another big fight. So um, I needed to I needed to win more convincingly than what I did. Um, so it certainly wasn't a lot um, a robbery or anything like that. I just thought fair being fair, I could have nicked the fight. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good performance. It caught me with a shot in the second round. It, it didn't hurt me or anything. It, it, it certainly it knocked me right off my balance. Um, I was as I was leaning back to throw a hook, I got caught square on, and you know I went over for it, but I was fine. And I just sort of said to myself, "Oh, Luke, what are you doing? This is embarrassing. Get yourself up, get on with it." And um, I said that to myself, and I started getting on with it. You know, I started thought I thought I started dominating the rounds really, and um, and sort of figured his style out as the fight went on. But he was very smart. He was he was doing little bits of show showboating and and whatnot. And it, and it from the outside it it made it look like he was more in control than what he was. Um, he was a smart fighter, very intelligent, great boxing skills. He's got power and speed too. So it was a it was a great fight. Um, a fight I would love a rematch with and turn that one over as well. You know, I I have fight Linares again in in another big fight and get the victory I want, then really my status is back to an undefeated status because I've I've overturned the the two that um that that, that didn't go my way. So 
if I beat Linares, then I feel like I'm back to an undefeated status again, which I want to be. Yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. One thing I do remember in that fight, um, quite often Linares would kind of up the gears in the last minute or so of the round. You know, he'd always try and finish the round really well and try to sway yeah. the judges. And I think he, he probably did that quite successfully, whether he actually won the round you know, or not. He, he seemed to finish strong. Um, obviously, one thing that emerged after the fight, Luke, is that you lost your father, um, you know, a matter of days before fight yeah. night. You kept it hush. You kept it from members of your team. The media didn't know. And tell me, Luke, how difficult was it to do that? Because we mentioned earlier about the Mendy fight, you know, you were having issues outside the ring, but surely I yeah. can't think of anything worse that can affect you than this. And it seemed to not really bother your performance because you fought out of your skin. No one thought that you'd be able to give Lenares such a great fight like that um, no one really seen what I was actually capable of against good opposition um, true. very true I, I, I still feel now to this day that you've not seen nothing of what I am capable of and you know 2019 I'm, I'm really looking forward to because I feel like you're finally going to see what, what I'm capable of and I feel like there's so much more to come um, but that being said yeah it was it was very difficult. Um, every time it come into my mind, I had palpitations, uh, and it you know, and I just had moments during the day or whatever where I would you know, I'd burst out in tears. So it wasn't a very nice time for me trying to deal with that and and the fight because I had to shut it out, I had to block it out to try and concentrate on what I was doing. So, you know, I'd work my whole life to, to, to get that position and, you know, to go there and win. So, it's you know, that being said, it it was very, very difficult for me. But I did it. I felt like he was there, in there with me, you know. So, I felt like we did it together. Yeah, that was unbelievable. I mean, you know, only a real true professional can put that to one side. And even some of the most truest professionals can't do that. That was that was amazing, no. man. That really was. Um, you know, you bounce back you, you bounce back from the loss with a win over Troy James. You stopped him in five. And then, like we mentioned, the, the Mendy rematch came. Yep. I was at that fight um, in, in, in Wembley Stadium. Now, this time you boxed great. You made adjustments. And mentally, you looked at the races that time. And how great was it to avenge yeah. that that soul? Well, not the soul loss, but yeah, to avenge that no, loss and, and to, you know, the, the whole it, fight itself. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, it was great just because it was the to, to get the decision to end over. Um, and it was a comfortable, easyish fight. I mean, considering the pressure that that guy puts on people, and his constant work rate and his toughness, um, I, I made it into a to a fairly comfortable fight for myself. But you know, that guy, um, he's I think one of his his top attributes is his toughness, and he's and he has a great defense as well. Believe it or not, there wasn't many shots I was getting through. I was getting a few through and, you know, I could see him really wincing at the shots that, that was hurting him, but a few seconds later, he'd sort of shake it off and just come dope, just come forward again. Um, but it it was a great fight, yeah. And, you know, he was he's a solid opponent, very tough guy. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see him, I'd like to see him actually in the ring against a few of the other up-and-coming fighters, um, what uh, Britain has, has to offer. And um, be very interesting to see how he does it against them. I think you put that guy in with someone like um, Ritson, 
uh, Cordina or something like that, just to see how they fare up with him. Um, it'd be very interesting. I think it'd probably Scott Ritson, though. Ooh. <laughs> Ritson, I mean, he was having a fantastic year up until that last fight. Um, yeah, you know. I, I, I think he would probably stop Ritson. Um, you know, and I don't know what... Cordina is a very skillful fighter. Um, is uh, I do I do rate I, I rate them all to be honest. But interesting one. It'd be an interesting one. Yeah, it's an interesting scene in the ring. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, a common mistake, um, Luke, that people make about you is, you know, you, you look seventeen, but you're thirty-one years of age now. Um, <laughs> do, do you feel thirty-one? Because sometimes I have to kind of double take at your age. Yeah, no, no, certainly not. Um, certainly not. To be honest, I, I don't really have many miles on the clock, um, and I and I certainly don't feel my age. I feel like I'm only just coming into my prime, and you know you're going to see the next four or five years are the best years of my career. And I do want to ask you, Luke, what is the next step for you? Obviously, you're you know you're ranked number one in the world with a WBC. I'm mandatory. I'm yeah. mandatory for the WBC world title, so I'm I'm hoping. Well, I I will be fighting for the WBC world title. Um, early next year but obviously with Mikey uh, Garcia a man that's been on this show many times he, he's moving up two yep. weight classes to fight Errol Spence will that mean that you'll take on the number two ranked guy I don't know um, I don't know I don't know they're going to work it um, you know I'll just leave that up to my promoter Eddie Ann uh, and my team to sort that out um, so I don't know what they're going to do or how, how they'll work it but yeah I'll be ready to fight for it Coming down to the last couple of questions really now, Luke, I want to ask you this. Who's the best fighter? I know you're going to probably struggle to answer this one, but who's the best fighter that you, you feel you've ever sparred or fought, both in amateurs and pros? Do you know what? I, I, really, don't have a, I really don't have an answer for you on that one. I've sparred so many, so many uh, well-level top fighters, very skillful fighters, um, fast fighters, powerful fighters. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard to pick, pin, pinpoint one person out of all them, you see. Because, as you know, in boxing, it's always styles make fights. Um, so I can't really... I, I haven't really got an answer for you in that one. What if you just reeled off maybe a couple of the bigger names? Um, who have sparred or who have fought? Sparred or fought, whatever you like. Well, obviously, in my professional career, you probably have to say Linares. Um, and um, in the amateurs, I think um, the the Cuban was a good fight. Um, he beat me uh, in the world championships by two points, and then I went to Bulgaria, uh, and I beat him. I got robbed, but I well beat him. Um, so probably he was my toughest fight in the amateur game. Uh, he, he was all my motivation for the Olympics, so um, to go in there and beat him, I thought that he was my target to beat. Uh, Alvarez, I think his name is. I didn't really worry about anyone else in the Olympics apart from apart from him. And obviously, since turning pro, you must have sparred some world level guys. Yeah, I've sparred. I've sparred a lot, um, but I can't quite pinpoint who. <laughs> I can't quite pinpoint one one person. All right. Yeah, I can't correct the point. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this. Who, out of all the people you shared a ring with, would you say, or do you remember, hit the hardest? 
probably than Aries was the was the sharpest hitter. It, it, it's, power power can be different. You can get someone that that hits you, thuds you, and knocks you back, or you can get someone that hits you and stings you. And did he have the stinging power or the the, the you know the punch? Yeah, Linares had like the sort of the power that stung you. Um, you know, where I've been in like like a Mendy, he was strong, but he was he would like bump you away and push you back, and it wouldn't sting you. But probably say Linares, I guess. Right. He's got the most knockouts and and everything else out of them all. So I would probably say Linares is is the one. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair answer. And finally, my last question for you, Luke. I like to ask everybody this question. During the month of December, what is on your Christmas wish list in terms of your career? When Where can you be this time next year? I know that obviously the, the big fight will be coming for you very soon. Unified world champion. Unified. So you'd like to win it and then unify it all in 2019. Of course. And if you yeah. could get one man in the ring with you, would it be the Linares rematch to try and avenge that other loss? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's certainly on, on on my list that I'd love to to do. Um, and there's you know there's there's some there's some mega fights to be made out there, especially at lightweight. It's such a tough, hard division as well. And there's some big names out there, uh, and there's some mega fights to be made. And one thing I do want to say, I was looking at your, you know, at your record, and it's amazing that even in a non-title fight, you've never came in above one thirty-eight, I believe, and that just goes to show how, you know, how how much of a professional you are. Because we see people, you know, just to put three pounds on is quite unbelievable. I mean, it's almost like I'm I'm thinking, could you not go down to one thirty? It seems like you, you know, you're always around that weight. That was um, I've only changed that. The first fight I started changing my weight was against the Linares fight and and because I've never had I've never had a team around me. I've never had a, it, I feel like for the first three years of my boxing career I've I wasted I've wasted three years um of the professional game of knowing of knowing how it works and what to do and just never had a team around me. Now I've got Shane McGuigan around me uh, and the team now I feel like finally, for the first time in my professional career, I have a solid team around me that know the ins and out of the professional game. Um, and that was one of them. Wait, like when I when I fought um, at, uh, Mendez, I got in the ring at one thirty eight. Um, he got in the ring at one forty five plus, and there was a big difference. There was a hell of a difference in in that. Um, and that's the first time where I realised it and thought, right, something's got to be done here. So I needed to change things up. But now I'm getting in the ring as big as possible because you have to. Yeah, you certainly do. Um, you know, I just want to kind of end it by saying this. I feel like, you know, this this new crop of Olympians that have come through, the likes of Josh Kelly, the likes of Cordina we mentioned, you know, guys that didn't necessarily win a medal, um, you know, they come through and everyone's really jumping on their bandwagon. And I feel like you yourself coming from the 2012 crop, um, you know, so many of your last fights have been on the undercards of such big events like yeah. Hey Bell U2, like the Joshua uh, Klitschko and Povetkin cards. And obviously the big fight against Linares was, was at the early hours of the morning over here. I just kind of feel like you've gone under the radar a little bit, Luke, but I'm hoping and, you know, yeah. I, I really am hoping that 2019 will be the year where we really see that breakout, uh, that breakout bunch of performances from you because you certainly, certainly yeah, deserve no, it. Yeah, definitely. And, Thank and Luke, you. just before I let you go, have you got any closing words just for our listeners? Yeah, no, definitely I agree with you on that one. Um, 
yeah, I, I have gone under the radar, but now I feel like for this 2019, this is the year where you will see me being being promoted um, differently and, and being talked about by my performances. And we're going to be in some great fights and some big, exciting fights. Excellent stuff. I'm very much looking forward to it, Luke. I'd like to wish you all the very best for 2019. Have a fantastic Christmas. Have a wonderful new year. Yeah. And we'll catch up hopefully in the new year. Yeah, nice one. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up the Christmas special edition of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our three guests on this week's show, the reigning British super middleweight champion, Zach Parker, the former WBO super lightweight world champion, Chris Algieri, and the 2012 Olympic gold medalist and a man that still has a lot to offer in the future, Mr. Luke Campbell. Thank you all once again for your contributions to the fighter of the year stuff that we did earlier thank you all once again for listening to this week's show the prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 84 points you the listeners are in second place on 78 points and Iaz is at the back on 77 points this is the final podcast of 2018 thank you all for sticking with us this year we wish you all a happy new year and we shall see you in 2019 god bless you all